This episode of Pod Cemetery is brought to you by a new psychological study run by the prestigious Dr. David Marrow. Do you have trouble sleeping? Well, Dr. Marrow needs research subjects. Earn $900 a week plus room and board in a beautiful old house in the Berkshires. Look for the ad in your local newspaper. Hello, my name is Chris. My name is Kelsey. And this is Pod Cemetery, where we dissect horror movies like the rotting corpses that they are. And it's a double feature on Pod Cemetery this week. The late night double feature picture show. With 1963's and 1999's The Haunting. Who recommended these movies, Kelsey? Daniel. Daniel, thank you very much for recommending these. I guess thank you 50% for recommending these. No, 100%. I, I take it back. <laughs> You'll see why when we get there. <laughs> but before we get to the movies, Kelsey, how do we start the show? Horror trivia. Give me what you got. What 2018 film unravels cryptic and terrifying secrets about the Graham family? Is that the name of the family in Hereditary? Yes. Okay, there we go. <laughs> I specifically took out the word ancestry. Mm-hmm. All right, Kelsey. How long, no looking at your notes... How long has Hill House stood for? According to the film, because it's different According from the book. According to the film. According to the film, at the time the movie takes place, how long had Hill House stood for? Pretty sure the movie says 90, because the book says 80. It is 90, in fact. Good call. 90 years, and it might stand for 90 more. Yeah, isn't it weird that they changed that? Well, I don't know how far after the book was written was the movie made. Well, the book, I think, came out in 59. Okay, well. So four years. Yeah. Oh, well, whatever. We're talking, of course, about 1963's The Haunting, based on the novel The Haunting of Hill House by Shirley Jackson. Yes, that The Haunting of Hill House. Yes. This script was written by Nelson Gidding and directed by Robert Weiss. The movie stars Julie Harris, Claire Bloom, Richard Johnson, and... Russ Tamblin. Apparently, Robert Weiss didn't read the book. He read a review of the book that Time Magazine published and started the process to buy the rights to make the movie at that point. He ended up meeting with Shirley Jackson, but he said he didn't like the title. He didn't think it could work for a movie. And when she, when Shirley Jackson was presented with that conundrum, she said, well, the only other title I had for this book if it wasn't going to be The Haunting of Hill House, it would have just been The Haunting. <laughs> I'm like, okay, let's do it. We'll call it The Haunting. That works for me. What is The Haunting about? A legitimate haunted house is going to be investigated by a man who has always wanted to find a legitimate haunted house. And so he invites people who are somehow related to the paranormal or to the house. Yep, that's it. That is the entire premise. To investigate. Uh-huh. 
<laughs> the movie is free with a subscription on something called FUBA. <laughs> Stop naming your companies these things. <laughs> Jesus. And DirecTV as well, if you're a DirecTV <laughs> subscriber. You could rent it for $3 on most services, so it's a low barrier to entry there. You can even buy it for as little as $5 on iTunes, Amazon, Google Play, and YouTube. It's $10 everywhere else. Should people watch The Haunting? I would say so. Yeah. I really enjoyed it. If you're into a black and white movie. It is a little long, but it's very good. Yeah, and you will not see... Warning, you will not see any ghosts. Is that true? Yep. There are no ghosts? No ghosts. Really? Yeah, think of a ghost. Trying to. All of their interactions are just loud noises and banging on doors and shit. Well, I mean, the doors swell and the house moves. You do not see a single ghost. Well, there's wind. There are no ghosts. Okay, the remake, in quotes... We'll get to why it's in quotes later. Goes hard on the ghost factor. Like, real hard on the ghost factor. This, you see ghosts potentially doing things. You hear noises. The house will move. But you never see a single spirit. It's not about the haunting itself. It's about how these people respond to the haunting. Mm, which is why they did what they did with the remake. Yes, I guess. <laughs> yeah, watch it. I'd, I'd highly recommend it. It's black and white, like I said, even though it didn't have to be. Uh, movies were in color by this point. Uh, just like Psycho, it was an artistic choice. Just so you guys know, we will be mentioning things about the TV show, The Haunting of Hill House. Yes, we will be getting there. So Some connections. I don't think we'll be spoiling anything. I would say minor spoilers about characters. But... It doesn't would... follow the same plot. Like, you could watch this movie, and it wouldn't spoil the TV show at all. Right. But there are connections. Yes, and we'll be talking about those. And we would both highly recommend that you watch The Haunting of Hill House. Absolutely. That's on Netflix. It is, yeah. You can take our advice or leave it on either of these things, but when we get back we will talk about 1963's The Haunting. Tonight the dead will walk. And you, unbeliever, will scream unheard. Stop it! The haunting. What do we really know of that other world of hauntings, of apparitions in the night, of the sinister powers of darkness? The Haunting was produced and directed by Robert Wise, the brilliant producer of West Side Story, and stars Julie Harris, Claire Bloom, Richard Johnson, Russ Tamblin. You cannot deny terror. You cannot look the other way. You have to face the supernatural. Face the chilling mysteries of forces you cannot understand or control when The Haunting holds you in its spell. The Haunting. An evil old house, the kind some people call haunted, is like an undiscovered country waiting to be explored. Is how this movie begins, Kelsey. Tell us about The Haunting. As we said earlier... Hill House has stood for 90 years and might stand for 90 more. 
Whatever walked there, walked alone. This is the opening narration of one Dr. John Markway, who is the one who's hosting this investigation. An evil old house, the kind some people call haunted, is like an undiscovered country waiting to be explored. Hill House had stood for 90 years and might stand for 90 more. Silence lay steadily against the wood and stone of Hill House. And whatever walked there, walked alone. The professor will explain that the history of the house was ideal for him. It had everything that he wanted. The house was originally built for the Crane family, which, again, in The Haunting of Hill House. That's the name of the family. That's the name of the family in the show. The professor will explain that it was an evil house from the beginning and that it was born bad. And if this feels familiar, if you're a Stephen King fan and you're starting to notice some similarities already, oh yes, Stephen King really liked this movie or this book. And, and Either Shirley way, Jackson's book, yeah, uh, because he he borrows heavily. We will talk about that come the remake. And in several different things, not just the thing that's connected to the remake. He borrows stuff from this for Carrie. He borrows stuff from this for The Shining. I think it's definitely clear that he liked. Oh, yeah, very much so, yeah. So in this first scene, it's the doctor talking to the current owner of the house who doesn't live there. Absolutely not. She's not interested in living there. But she's uh, going to lease him the house so he can do this investigation. Well, we also find out that the original wife, the crane wife, yes. died before she even saw the house. Uh-huh. In On a, her way up the driveway. <laughs> yes. in her, The horses freaked out and ran the carriage into a tree, which uh-huh. killed her. He also, he had a second marriage. And as the professor will describe it, her death was even more interesting. I don't think we... Oh, we do know what happens there. She falls down the stairs. That's right, yes. And then the father leaves off to England and dies, and leaves his daughter alone. And she gets left the house, and she lived in and died in the nursery. Yes, she was taken care of. By just some woman from town who was making out with her boyfriend or whatever while this daughter, now an old woman, died upstairs. And then she ended up hanging herself. Apparently the crane daughter left it to her companion. Yes. Who ended up hanging herself from the rafters at the top of the spiral staircase yeah, she became a total recluse uh-huh. and then eventually killed herself. So, yeah, he gets to borrow the house from the people who now own it. Do we know their I name? don't know if we know exactly they how they're connected. Okay. But they're going to send along whoever she is. It's this elderly woman. She is going to send along her nephew, Luke. Who, yes, Luke is the name of the son from The Haunting of Hill House. And that little boy just made me want to cry every time oh, he was yeah. on screen. Because uh-huh. yeah. he just gets this, he's, he's the sweetest kid. So Luke, <laughs> the young man with the vice issues. Mm-hmm. 
the same in in this and the TV show. We have Hugh Crane, who is the patriarch of the Crane family, with the dead wife haunting of Hill House. Yes. And the woman warns the professor not to play gin with Luke. Yes, because he's a card sharp, which is interesting because she says sharp and the closed captioning said shark. <laughs> I noticed that. That is that is an egg corn. My entire life I thought it was card shark. Yeah, I think it was George Carlin who I think first said something that I heard about how it was actually card sharp. Then we get to meet our main character, Eleanor Lance, who also goes by Nell, who is obviously the youngest daughter from The Haunting of Hill House. Yeah, she's the one with the sort of, uh, she's disturbed and she is tormented by the house. Yes. So Eleanor is, <laughs> she's supposed to be 30, guys, <laughs> but she is going to be portrayed as kind of, not elderly, but older middle-aged middle-aged and she is 30 <laughs> yeah but the point is is that she's been taking care of her mom much like the caretaker of the house took care of the the crane daughter her whole life she was taking care of her elderly mother for the past 11, 11 years yeah and then her mother died finally i guess yes and she lives with her sister her brother-in-law, and their daughter. And this is the same setup in the book, except that in the book, both the sister and the brother-in-law are assholes. They're not as assholey in this. Well, in this, specifically, the brother-in-law is, like, kind. Yes, yeah. And kind of wants to give her the car uh -huh. that she paid for half of, by uh -huh. the way, and they're like, but the sister doesn't want to give it to her. Yeah, because she paid for the other half. Yes. But then also we find out that she's paying for living in their living room. Yeah, she sleeps on the couch. She doesn't even have a bedroom. So when she kicks them out, they're like, you're in our house. And she's like, I'm in my room that I pay for, which we never find out how she's paying for that because she does not have a job. I assume it's the inheritance from her mother. I assume so. Because that was what she was living off of this entire time, too, right? So. I guess. Yeah. It's it's incredibly unclear what exactly is going on with her living arrangements at the beginning of the movie until you start to find more stuff out throughout the movie. But just so you're aware, this is what's going on. So then a small little thing will happen that I noticed and I wrote it down. And then I found out it was in the book. And I want to know if, what you thought of it when you saw it in the film before I got I give you the explanation. She will start to blink mm -hmm. rapidly and the little girl will, will laugh and say, Auntie Nella's blinking, Auntie Nella's blinking. Mm -hmm. Why do you think she's blinking? Well, I don't know if there's some sort of internal explanation for her, but I think this is her having a sort of nervous breakdown. And that's one of the one of the. You know, obviously, this is something that they've seen before, and this is, oh, crazy Nell. That is absolutely how I read it. In the book, she blinks a lot because, well, and it's only when she's outside because she's so used to being indoors and oh. 
but that's not what they did in the movie that at is all. not at all what they no. did <laughs> also the sister will say to her i don't suppose you would care what mother would want which is going to lead to something later i don't know how the sister would know this i think she suspects that she's happy she's been relieved of this responsibility but you know fuck this sister what was she doing this entire time exactly so she ends up taking the car because fuck her sister yep. and she it's convinces, pretty badass she convinces the parking lot attendant to give her the keys yes <laughs> and she gets in the car and she immediately starts thinking to herself and it's very reminiscent of psycho very much it's her in the car, driving, thinking about the bad deeds that she's done and what everyone will do when they find out about it. Like, that is Psycho, which was three years before this. Except the difference is... It's in the book, too? Well, that's in the book, yes. But, except the difference is, she's narrating it in her thoughts, whereas they don't narrate it in Psycho. She hears them talk in her oh, mind, yeah, yeah, but yeah. she doesn't think out loud to saying. herself. Yeah, in this she is think it's her thinking out loud, yeah. Yes. And she will do a lot of that. But it does feel very psycho. Yes, it is very, very psycho. But yes, it does happen in the book as well. And she hopes that this is what she's been waiting for her entire life. So to be clear, the doctor, Dr. Markway, has... In addition to Luke, the owner's nephew, who stands to inherit the house when the owner passes away, and that's why she's like, you know, he should see what he's getting into, has hired Nell and another person, which we will meet shortly, to participate in this study. It's not some sort of psychological experiment. It's an investigation. Well, he reached out to anybody he could find that was somehow related to psychic phenomena. Uh-huh. And he assumes that everybody else looked into the house and was like, oh, no. Because funny enough, when both Nell and Theo show up, they're going to be like, I didn't look into it at all. Yeah. Why would I research something? So she shows up at this house and the gates are locked. And she runs into Mr. Dudley. So the Dudleys, just like in the TV show, are the caretakers of the property, and they don't stick around after dark. And he's kind of a dick to her, and she's kind of a dick to him. Yes. Like, she nearly runs him over. Yes, and that was an addition to the film. That was not in mm -hmm. the book. In fact, in the book, she waits awkwardly for him to let go. But this interaction is very similar to the book. And it's you get more of her explanation in the book. And it's because she wants to portray herself as strong. Mm -hmm. You know, she doesn't want to be seen as weak. She yeah. doesn't want him to be able to turn her away. And she also is very much aware that this is the only time in his life that he ever has any sort of authority. Yeah. So, yeah, she honks and he comes out to open the gate she explains that he's expecting me, and this is very big for her because she's never expected anywhere. Yeah, uh-huh. And he says, well, you can't be expected since you're the only one here. And she goes, you mean there's nobody in the house? And he goes, no one you'd want to see. Well, he can't rightly be expecting you, seeing as you're the only one who's come so far. You mean that there's no one in the house? No one you'd want to see preluding <laughs> to what's going to come. His wife. 
Mrs. Dudley is in the house. That's such a good point. (laughs) I hope that's what he meant. (laughs) But yeah, she tells him, unlock those gates at once. But he tells her, you'll be sorry I ever opened that gate. Mm -hmm. And when she gets there, she comes to a screech and she very quickly realizes that it is staring at her. Again, this is all told through narration. She sees the house as being vile and she immediately tells herself, get away from here. This is my last chance. But she realizes there's nowhere else to go. Mm-hmm. It's her last chance to do anything, too. Like, it's her last chance either way. It's staring at me. Vile. Vile. Get away from here. Get away at once. It's my chance. I'm being given a last chance. I could turn my car around and go away from here and no one would blame me. Anyone has a right to run away. But you are running away, Eleanor. And there's nowhere else to go. Yes. To get away? To be important? Yes. And she realizes that the house is waiting for her. Evil and patient it waits for her. We see that there are faces that are carved into the woodwork. And that will become a big deal in the remake. But in this one, they are purely aesthetic. And she does. She meets Mrs. Dudley, who, unlike her husband, who was abrasive, she is far more reserved and simply wants to repeat what she has to say and then get the fuck out. Mm-hmm. I've set dinner on the dining room sideboard at six. I clear up in the morning. I have breakfast for you at nine. I don't wait on people. Eleanor is very quickly af- afraid of many of the things in the house. Uh, the sk- the faces scare her. The mirrors scare her. There's a mm-hmm. lot of mirrors. She immediately feels like she's being swallowed by a monster and that it can feel her inside of its- itself. She keeps telling herself, stop this. You're being childish. Mm-hmm. You know, get over this. We also noticed... That she has an interesting bedroom set up. Do you want to tell us? Yeah, there were, it, it's a very large bed. It just, it's weird. It's just for such an elaborate place <laughs> full of very expensive things. The bed is just two twin beds shoved together, mm-hmm. like the frame and all. And I thought that, well, that was, that's interesting it seems like a weird sort of cost-cutting measure considering how elaborate the rest of the set is (laughs) we'll find out more about that later Mm -hmm. she walks in and sees that she has a very nice bathroom but then she hears oh thank god there's someone here and she runs out to meet theodora theodora who is also in the tv show one of the sisters the Psychic lesbian who doesn't like to be touched. (laughs) Yes, who wears gloves. Uh She's seen wearing gloves. So in the TV show, they took that to a level that is very cool. Uh It is not the same here in the film. She just wears gloves because she's a badass. (laughs) Because she's hot. (laughs) But she is also psychic. Yes. And the movie just like, there's no explanation. They don't talk about it she is she just continues to say things that reveal the fact that she knows what people are thinking yes and it's not a big plot element or anything else it's just sort of fun character building yes immediately eleanor tells her that it was terrible to be alone and theodora is immediately just like you're 
frightened. Eleanor's like, how did you know? And Theodore's like, well, you wear your emotions on your sleeve, which she absolutely does. Oh, yeah. But also Theo can read people as well. Mrs. Dudley does her whole shtick. Eleanor playfully will say some of her lines. No one can hear you if you scream in the night. Isn't that so, Mrs. Dudley? Which seems out of character for Eleanor, for me. Because Eleanor doesn't seem like she has that playful side to her. I think this is her wanting to appeal to Theo. Yes, absolutely. But it's very cute the way that she does it. Because she knows (laughs) it's the same exact speech that Mrs. Dudley gave her when she showed her her room. I don't stay after I set out the dinner. Not after it begins to get dark. I leave before the dark comes. Your husband? We live over in town, miles away. Yes. So there won't be anyone around if you need help. I understand. We couldn't hear you in the night. Do you have any idea when Dr. No one could. No one lives any nearer than town. No one will come any nearer than that. I know. In the night. In the night. In the night. In the dark. In the dark. In the dark. (laughs) No one will come closer than Mm -hmm. that. It also makes, I think, Nell feel better if she can make fun of the doomsayer. That's a good point. Because otherwise she has to take it seriously. That's a good point. And might be scared of it. So Mrs. Dudley leaves them and they go off to go exploring and they very quickly feel very lost. They both start to feel like something is with them. There is cold wind blowing. Eleanor starts to feel like the house is alive. And they get lost. Yeah, and Eleanor will even hear voices that... Theo doesn't hear? Theo does not hear at all. However, very quickly, Theo will shout out to Nell, It wants you, Nell. It's calling you. It wants you, Nell. The house is calling you. Eleanor wonders, is this what I came so far to find? But... Even then, she feels the push and the pull. So she feels that the house wants her, and she wonders, is this what I want? But then she immediately calls out, Theo, stay with me, because she's afraid of it as well. And while they're lost and they don't know where to go, what happens? They run into the professor. Yeah, Dr. Markway runs into them, and he's like, oh, ladies, awesome, thank you for being here. I know it's really easy to get lost in this place. Did you know there's not a single right angle in this entire house? I loved that little tidbit. Everything kind of goes off at odd angles. And so it makes it really easy to get lost and, and not keep your bearings. And he's like, but, but I've studied the floor plans. I know where if we want to go to the kitchen, we go through this door. And it's a broom closet, actually. And they kind of laugh at him. And I think it's Nell says, makes me think of the lady and the tiger. Yes. And they just move on. All these doors. Makes me think of the lady and the tiger. Let's see if there's a tiger behind this one. Like you're supposed to know what that is. It's a literature break, Kelsey. We're going to talk about the lady or the tiger. I teach the lady or the tiger. Do you really? I teach it as an eighth grade teacher, yeah. I had no idea that you taught this story. So, it's... A magazine short story written by Frank R. Stockton for The Century in 1882. And since Kelsey already knows about it, I will share it with you, the audience. There's kind of two elements to this story. The term that applies to this movie is just the general concept of the lady or the tiger, the general like allegory factor, which is 
a man is put on quote unquote trial and the king presents to him two doors. Behind one door is a woman that is perfectly matched for him. And if he picks that door, he will be married to that woman and he will be happy for the rest of his life. And if he picks the other door, it's a tiger who will maul him to death. And that is what the lady or the tiger is about when you're talking about like, you know, two options and you have no way of knowing which one's which. And the difference between the two are is very, very drastic. But the story of the lady or the tiger is fucking remarkable. <laughs> there is a man in this story. He is put on trial. There is a king who presents him with two doors Except he is already in love with the king's daughter. Which is why he's being on, tri- being yeah. on trial. And she has bribed somebody or figured out ahead of time what's behind the two doors. And she's the only other person who knows. And she is going to signal to him which door is the appropriate door. But she also finds out who the woman is. And the woman is apparently a perfect match for this man. And she doesn't like this woman. And if he picks that door, she'll lose him forever. And so she tells him which door to open secretly. And he goes to open the door. End of story. Mm -hmm. You never find out what door he opens because that's not the point. Well, that's what we do with it. We let them finish the story. They get to write their own. Oh, that's really interesting. They get to write their own ending. That's a fun little exciting thing to do. It's a little week-long assignment. But the point is, is that either option is a bad option for the woman. (laughs) So the question is, does she pick the happiness of the man she loves? Or if she can't have him, can nobody have him? So it's an interesting conundrum and and a pretty cool story. Mm-hmm. I love the fact that they don't tell you what door he opens at the end. <laughs> That's totally my jam. I hate it. I know you do. <laughs> <laughs> the kids hate it, too. That's why I get to say, but now you get to decide. Mm-hmm. So the, the story itself ends with, and so I leave it with all of you, which came out of the open door, the lady or the tiger. And that's where the phrase comes from. So... And I imagine that's the question you present to your students. Mm -hmm. That's interesting. That's Mm -hmm. really cool. The point is, they have no idea what's behind any door. (laughs) So they all go to dinner where they will meet Luke, who is played by... Russ Tamblin. Kelsey, who is Russ Tamblin? It's Riff! (laughs) Yes, it is Riff from West Side Story. West Side Story, directed by... Jerome Robbins and Robert Weiss, who directed this. That's another movie I've shown in class. <laughs> when I've taught Romeo and Juliet. I was going to say, is it a Romeo and Juliet thing? Yeah. I show all the different movies for different scenes so that the kids get to see all the different ways that it's been interpreted. But before dinner, they go to have a drink and they toast. They say to us, to new companions. And then Eleanor says, but I don't drink. Random. Yeah. They sit down to dinner and Theo recognizes that they have been given very fine china to eat on. China that she's only ever seen in museums. Uh Uh-huh. And Theo asks the professor, why are we here? Because she has not done any research. He explains and she realizes, I get it, we're bait. 
That's what we're here for. Mm-hmm. To get you to be able to see things happen because we're here. Yeah. And we attract psychic phenomena. Uh-huh. The professor explains that Theo has ESP, which is why she is here. And when Eleanor asks, well, then why did you ask me here? He explains, well, because you had that poltergeist experience with the rocks falling on your house. Uh Uh-huh. Carrie. Carrie. But also, Rose Red. Oh, right. You're very right. That's really funny. Rose Red makes sense. We mentioned that when we talked about Rose Red. Mm Mm-hmm. I've completely forgot about that. Yeah. She makes the ha- the stones come down. I think on her neighbor's house, though. Yeah. Right? The yeah. elderly people uh-huh. with a dog. <laughs> but when Eleanor finds this out, this offends her. Yeah. Because she likes to pretend like that never happened. Yeah. Or like punk kids threw the rocks. That's exactly. what happened. That's what mom always said. It was just people throwing rocks. Uh-huh. Which is exactly how it's described in the book. She... She and her sister simply assumed that it was the one of the other person's fault that it even happened. Yeah. And the mother just always said, our neighbors are throwing rocks at our house. Yeah. Even though they all knew it was falling from the skies. The so- professor explains that this is a leprous home or a house of Hades. <laughs> He's very melodramatic. <laughs> yes, he is. But as he's trying to explain this, Eleanor will have a freak-out moment explaining that it was the neighbors, etc. My mother, blah, blah, blah. She died two months ago. And she seems like she's all sad about it. And Theo says, you weren't sorry when it happened. My mother died two months ago. You weren't sorry when it happened. Were you? No. She wasn't very happy. And I won't say I'm sorry now. And it's interesting, because sometimes Eleanor will get mad at Theo. Like, get offended. But other times she admits that Theo's right. Yeah. It's interesting. But, I mean, I think even when she gets mad at her, she's not denying it. Mm Mm-hmm. Good point. She spills some salt and throws it over her shoulder, Nell does, to which... Luke laughs and says, do you believe in that stuff? Like, do you believe in superstitions? Mm -hmm. And the professor explains, well, this other people did. And he goes, yeah, what happened to them? And he goes, well, they're extinct now. (laughs) So the implication That lot of good that did for him. Exactly. (laughs) That evening in the parlor, Luke and Theo are playing gin. Uh Uh-huh. And Theo wins. (laughs) Theo is winning because Theo can read Luke. Uh Uh-huh. Nell is sitting on the couch thinking to herself, drinking a cup of tea, and she's considering the fact that I finally belong somewhere. Mm-hmm. Again, this whole time, she is literally talking to herself in her head. And the movie does really cool moments where they have her just kind of shut out the world. There's one in particular that's really effective. But the camera kind of just slowly dollies in. Not just Nell, but the camera kind of like isolates her from everything around her and the voices all go down. They're still talking, but Nell's internal monologue is happening at the same time. And so there's a couple moments in the movie that are like this that are Which really cool. most of us, most of us can relate to this. Uh-huh. Most of us I can know relate. what it's like to sit there and have a conversation in our heads. Uh, oh, that, yes. 
and drown out everything else in the entire room and you can just hear yourself thinking. I mean, not other people. You're putting too much emphasis on the talking to yourself bit. But yes, no, I can totally relate to like realizing that, oh, I don't know what's been happening the last minute. <laughs> Somebody's been talking right to me and I don't know, like, because your mind wanders. And, but yeah. what are you thinking about? Whatever. Are you thinking things? Are you thinking thoughts? Yeah, I'm thinking about other things. He's not thinking in words. Right, yes. This is, Kelsey has a big problem with the fact that I don't think in words. Freaks me out. I'm sorry. The fact that you don't sit there and have a conversation with yourself is weird to me. This is going to sound really fucking conceited, but my mind works faster than the words go. I think that's kind of why I don't think in words. Because whenever I think in words, like I have to force myself to do it that way. And all of a sudden my words get garbled or I stop mid-sentence in the sentence that I'm thinking of because my brain is already thinking five sentences down the line. And I just, I can't, that's a, that's a deficit on my part. I can't keep that, that sentence structure going. Hold up. During this scene, Luke will profess his disbelief of all this mumbo jumbo. He thinks it's a bunch of bullshit. And the professor will say to him that he better be careful because a closed mind is the worst shield from the supernatural. Uh -huh. And he says, Luke says back to him, don't try to convert me. And the professor says, I'm not trying to convert you. I'm trying to prepare you for what's about to happen. Mm -hmm. Something will happen where one of them wants to leave or something like that. And they go, well, we couldn't leave if we wanted to. We don't have the key to get out, but the professor has the key, so they can get out. He gives them forms that he wants them to fill, fill out each day. And at some point, they bring up psychokinesis. Yes. But they won't pronounce it that way. Yeah, it's like psychokinesis is what Markway says, but he's British. I don't yeah. remember him being British. No, I think he's British. But Luke sees it for the first time, and he, he, oh God, I can't remember what he actually says. Psychokinesis? No, that's what Markway calls it. Psychokinesis, yeah. He calls it, like, psychokookiness, I think, or something like that. I have no idea. Psychookiness, I think, is what he calls it. Mm. Hey, what's this, uh, looks like psychookiness? Nothing like that wrong with me? Psychokinesis is just the technical form for what you'd call objects moving by themselves. Actually, they don't, but are moved by a force from somewhere which we call psychokinesis. It's just a cute little exchange. That evening, because they have a connecting bathroom. Yeah, Theo and Nell. Theo tells her, if you get nervous or scared, just run into my room. And Theo will look at her hairstyle, because Nell has kind of an old-fashioned hairstyle. Mm -hmm. She goes, you know, I have just the perfect style for your hair. And I think Eleanor, they're trying to portray her as being a little uncomfortable mm -hmm. around Theo. But she's enamored by her. Yes. She's fascinated by her. This beautiful woman who is strong and says whatever's on her mind and, you know, all the things that she's incapable of doing. Yes. I've only read the beginning of the book. I unfortunately didn't have time this week to read more of it before we got to record. So I don't know exactly how far this goes, but there is most certainly 
an underlying lesbian relationship forming here. Yeah. And the movie includes it probably just slightly more subtle subtle than the book. Just slightly more so. Yeah. I mean, there are things that the book had to do as well. Yes. It couldn't just out and out say it. No. There is a there is a line that comes in later that's probably the closest they will get to ever actually saying it. Mm-hmm. Uh, but, you know, there's a lot of circumstantial evidence that supports the fact that Theo is gay. And whether she takes it seriously or not has kind of a thing for Nell either as an actual companion or as, like, a plaything. Mm-hmm. And Nell is intrigued, but also repulsed. Yes. Yeah, I think that's, that's, that's accurate. When uh, Eleanor goes to bed that evening, again, she feels the push and she, the pull. She talks about how ugly it is in here, and yet how comfortable it is at the same time. Uh-huh. And she thinks to herself, like, drowning, I guess. It's an interesting. interesting line. That's really interesting, yeah. Funny, everything's so ugly and yet so comfortable. Like drowning, I guess. She ends up locking her door, and then she stops and she's like, but against what? Like, even she doesn't know necessarily what she's afraid of. She just knows she's afraid. Yeah. And what happens that night? They hear loud noises. There's banging somewhere in the house. What does Nell initially think it is? Her mother banging on the wall. Oh, right. Yeah, because that's how her mother summoned for help. It's also how the aging daughter Crane would summon help from her assistant who never came is banging. Yes. Kane (laughs) on the wall. To get her help. And so when she hears a banging, she said, yes, mother, I'm coming, mother. And then she realizes, holy crap, where am I? That's not my mom. Wait a minute, my mom's dead. (laughs) (laughs) And that is much louder and Uh much more terrifying. Yes. So she freaks out. And And then she hears Theo Theo screaming for Nell. And so Nell runs into Theo's room, which, again, they're connected via this bathroom. And the room is terribly, terribly cold. Yes, they talk about how cold it is. And Eleanor, for whatever reason, feels this strength inside of her and gets up and shouts at the loud banging noise, no, go away. Yeah. And when it goes away, it does, she turns back to Theo and she goes, see, it's just a noise. And so... Her character is very strange in that she sometimes feels really confident. Well, she does that for her own good. Yes. She does it because that's her trying to be brave, and trying to be brave sometimes makes her brave. When it turns out being brave was the appropriate course of action, that gives her a sort of confidence. But then but there are other times when she's very scared. Yes, very much so. But then the there's a knock on the door now, and they're like, oh my god, it's right outside, and no. It's Markway and Luke. And they're like, oh, my God, did you hear that? And Markway's like, did anything happen? Are you okay? we were outside, Uh thought we saw a dog. Yes. And they're like, a dog inside the house? And they're like, I guess. (laughs) And the professor very quickly realizes they're trying to separate us. Yes. And here we have a very 
uncomfortable line that I can't get out of my head. Yeah? I guess the professor's just kind of chatting with Eleanor at this point. Like, this probably. Is the next day, I think. Oh, okay. Yeah, and the next morning, I think. Yeah. And they're all getting up for breakfast. It's just Nell and the doctor. And he's just trying to get to know her, and he asks her, you know, who are you? And she says a bunch of things, and one of them is that she sleeps on her left side. And he stops her, and he goes, why on the left side? I want to know more about you. I dislike lobster. Crack my knuckles when I'm nervous. Save buttons. Sleep on my left side. Why on the left side? I read someplace it wears the heart out quicker. Well, that's a depressing thought. I can't get that out that. of my mind. I remember that, because you sometimes sleep on your left side. I always <laughs> sleep on my side, and I have always on my left side felt uncomfortably. It doesn't feel like there's much support there. Mm -hmm. And that is why, apparently. Mm -hmm. And that is terrible. I have no idea if it's true or not, but my limbs fall asleep faster when I'm lying on my left side. We're just killing ourselves slowly. Uh -huh. Yep. Oh my god. <laughs> but I can't sleep on my back. Mm -hmm. It's so hard. I can. Sometimes. I gotta sleep on my side. Here is where she explains that she doesn't have a job. And she asks him about what, what brought him to his job. And it's funny. He explains, well, I went into anthropology because it seemed like the most sensible way to get close to what I'm actually interested in, which is the supernatural. Yeah. I grew up in a in a home where everything was very sensible and logical, and I kind of rejected that. And then, yeah, when I got to school, I decided that's the sensible and logical path to take to get to the weird shit that I was actually interested in. So interesting. Yeah. And, and they're really getting along in sort of way where, like, Mark Way is like, I think he likes her. I think I think he feels sorry for he her. He feels sorry for her, absolutely, and he feels this need to protect her because he sees her as this sort of like fragile woman who's gonna break down. Yes, but that is not the way that she reads it. No. She reads it on a romantic level. Till last night you were just a name on my list. I scarcely know Eleanor that. She's horrible. No, no, you mustn't make fun of me. You're sweet and pleasant and everyone likes you very much. She thinks he's interested in her. And it's it's probably supported a little by the fact that he doesn't treat Theo the same way. But that's well, because Theo's Theo a is a very different person. Exactly. She's much more self-reliant than Nell is. And so he doesn't kind of treat her with the kid gloves that Nell interprets as being romantic. Mm-hmm. The doctor explains, and this will go out the window in the remake, that ghosts don't hurt us physically. However, our fear can lead us to die, like, in certain ways. Right. They can manipulate objects and stuff, and those objects can hurt us, but you'll never be directly attacked by a ghost. It'll never happen, which I thought was an interesting take. Part of the reason why, again, you never actually see ghosts in this movie. So Theo will come down. They start to discuss things that they are afraid of. And when Luke, immediately when Luke walks in, Nell asks him, what are you afraid of? And he says, what I saw in the hallway. And when they go out into the hallway, in chalk has been written, help Eleanor come home. Yeah. Now, 
my mind, if I had not already seen the remake a billion times and knew what they were going to tell me, uh-huh. would have gone immediately to why, who is she, how is she connected, mm-hmm. etc. Okay? But because I'd seen the remake, I thought I knew the explanation. Uh-huh. This movie is not interested no, not in all. giving you that explanation. So the remake here did exactly what the remake of Black Christmas did. It gave you too much information? It, well, it gave you a story, and that story fucking sucked. Yeah, okay. So, <laughs> that, to be clear, I am, as I said with The Lady or the Tiger, I am totally fine with ambiguous endings. That makes it cooler. Right? More interesting, fun to think about. Kelsey appreciates the closure. What upsets Kelsey is when that closure fucking sucks. <laughs> and for me, sometimes, maybe oftentimes, the closure is never as interesting as the mystery. The only time I really want a mystery to be solved is when, like, it's a murder mystery. And even then, if it's a spooky one, I'm, I, I think I'm better off without getting closure. I, guys, I know this is going to make me sound terrible, but it's true. I am a firm believer in the idea that an ambiguous ending just means... You didn't know how to end it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's all that means. If for a short story, I would say, like The Lady or the Tiger, it is just sort of like a, hey, you know what, this isn't... You're not investing a lot of time in this, and... Obviously, I'm not investing a lot of time into it because I'm just making a short story and not a whole book or whatever. I think you see that a lot in short stories for that very reason. It's because somebody had a cool concept that they thought up and wanted to write about it, but they had no idea how to end it. So they just don't. I think you're very much right in that way. But there are other things to gain from it than just that. I disagree. This is, so when Eleanor sees that they've written her name on the wall, she starts to lose it. And she's like, something is using me. It knows my name. And she freaks out and she's like, who wrote my name up on the wall? They all say they didn't do it. Initially, I think Theo accuses the professor or Luke or somebody else. And then out of nowhere, Nell will accuse Theo. And Theo's like, oh, fuck no. And yeah. then she says, um, you know, maybe you just did it to attract attention. You know, I noticed that you did your hair differently today. Uh-huh. And Nell's like, you told me to do my hair differently. <laughs> and that's when the professor stops her and he goes, Theo was trying to get you to stop being scared. Yes. He, Which you she are wanted, not scared anymore. She wanted to rile you up, get you angry, so that emotion could replace your fear. Yes. I thought that was really interesting. Theo doesn't deny it and is very willing to take Nell away to go lie down or whatever. Well, the next thing we see is the professor giving them a tour of the house. Mm -hmm. This is where we will get to see what in the new movie will be the atrium. Is it the atrium in here, too? No, it's the library. Well, there... Is a statue of oh, St. Francis. The statue, I think. Is in the atrium? I don't know where it is, to be honest with you. I don't remember. Well, it might in, be in the atrium. In the remake, it will be the atrium. Yes. So I think it's the atrium here. And they will see a statue of St. Francis curing the lepers. Uh-huh. That, that is when Eleanor will see that there is a dog in the statue, and she will laughingly say, ha-ha, the dog you saw last night. Uh-huh. 
which the haunting of Hill House definitely used that kind of stuff. Yeah, statues moving, statues moving, yeah, uh-huh. etc. And did you ever notice any statues moving? Because I was looking in this movie. I didn't notice any. I wasn't looking hard. I was thinking about it, but I didn't notice any. Uh, yeah, I think that they just kind of took that. Like they gave you the impression, right? That, yeah, it uh-huh. made you feel like they might have moved. And, yeah, and. The TV show took that to another level. They very much move. And in some really cool moments in the show, they do really awesome things with that. Like things that if you're not paying attention, you would not notice and the show does not point out to you. Luke will see it and will be very confused because it's not on the inventory. Yeah. I don't know what that's supposed to lead us to believe that it's just building things as it goes. Which, you know, which they would use in Rose Red, but Mm. that's more attributed to the Winchester house. Maybe that's what's going on here. Don't know. Or the statues get up and move and they weren't in that location when the inventory took place. That's a good point. And while they are looking at this, Eleanor will kind of become a little bit entranced. And she wonders, you know, am I being a fool? Does the doctor actually, is he actually interested in me? And they're looking at this statue and she sees that, I guess, Hugh Crane is there. And she's like, Hugh, won't you dance with me? And Uh she she dances dances, with him. And nobody thinks this is weird. Everybody is just like, that's so cute. I think they like the fact that she's in good spirits. (laughs) And that is when a door will open, and Eleanor does not like the smell. Yeah. So we didn't talk about, does the door open on its own here? Mm-hmm. Yeah, we didn't talk about this, but the doors will close on their own and sometimes even open on their own if they're not shut properly as a result of nothing being made at right angles. So they say. Yeah. Which people like Chris would be like, okay, that makes sense. It's absolutely the case. It's 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 very much an explainer. Chris will see a ghost one day and just will be like, "Meh, lose the light." Uh, no, if I see <laughs> a ghost, I'll be like, "Cool." <laughs> like I'm not like, "No, I, it can't be a ghost." No, it's I wouldn't be that person. But based on the data I have now, no ghosts. Anyway. But so she says it's the smell of death. But everyone else is like, it's just stale air. Uh-huh. But she's been around deathly air. Yeah, so I think she it's knows. Theo who recognizes that. Oh, that's probably the way your mom's room smelled. And the professor will very sleazily, I might add, go up to her and be like, remember this moment. Remember what it feels like so you can tell me in your form. Yes. <laughs> Because, unfortunately, Nell just does not recognize that he is only looking at her as a lab experiment. Yeah, uh-huh. And in there, what what is this room, Chris? It's the library. This is the library where the companion of the daughter would mm-hmm. eventually hang herself. Yes, because this is where we get the metal spiral staircase. Oh, yes, the staircase. The staircase. So cool. Uh Yeah, she climbed up to the top, and it leads into the attic. Yes. And she would climb up to the top to that uh, wrought iron sort of ledge area right there outside the attic entrance. She'd tie a rope, and she threw herself off. Yes. And Luke will hear this story and decide to lighten the mood by doing a dance number on the staircase. And then it, like, shifts. It starts to shake. Yeah. 
And you might be wondering, oh, is the house reacting to him? But what's really happening? It's old and it's coming out of the supports. Yes. Like now, bolts are loosening. Now, is it because the house is alive or is it just because it's old? As someone who has seen lots of iron fences and other such things screwed into other things like concrete walls and wood come loose all the good goddamn time. <laughs> I have no reason to expect it's anything else. And even though Eleanor, I guess she's now outside looking at it from the outside and she's looking at this house and she, even though she thinks vile, hideous. Oh yeah. She still wonders what would it be like to look from up there? There's like a deck high up outside and she's, she's, she's back on that open sort of deck area and looking up the, at the house. So her back is to the ledge. And she starts to lean further and further back before Dr. Markway has to be like, whoa, 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 hey. She's like, oh, I must have gotten dizzy. Yes. Which again, is it her or is it the house? Are you asking me? Because I would say it's her. I think it's a combination. Okay. In the lore of the movie, yes, I would say it is a combination. Yes. This is when the doctor will first be like, oh my God, I think I should be sending you home. Yeah. This is not good. But she tells him that she is not breaking down, that she needs to stay. And he's like, but I'm being selfish by keeping you here. She refuses. She wants to stay. So he says, fine, but I want you to stay in the same room as Theo. Yes. Because two girls staying in the same room. Who thinks twice yeah. about that? And That's the best way for her to be safe. And luckily, the bedroom has two, has separate, two beds. separate beds. So nothing, nothing could happen. Because if they had a large bed <laughs> and two ladies sleeping in it with the sexual undertones that are going on in this story, that would have been inappropriate. So they just have two physical beds shoved together. Yes. And for anyone wondering, like, Oh, but maybe it's just us reading into it. No, it's most certainly there. Yeah. It is very blatant. If you read the book in just the first couple of chapters, it becomes blatant. Mm -hmm. And in the remake, they make her a bisexual. Mm -hmm. And by the time we finally get to the show, we finally can just have, yes, she is just a lesbian. Yes. Uh-huh. And they can out say with it. it. Yeah. Uh-huh. So they spend the night together and- Eleanor gets drunk. Yeah, she gets a little tipsy as they're drinking there that night. Lies about where she lives. Uh-huh. The apartment she has, which she absolutely does not have. But when Theo is like, well, maybe you ought to go home then, she flips on a dime. and she Eleanor out. Yeah. yeah. She starts shouting like, why do you all pick on me? I don't want to leave. Ever, 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 ever. Even though we know she doesn't like the place. So, yeah. again, push and pull. Before they go to sleep that evening, they run into the professor and Luke. And the professor has found a genuine cold spot. Yes. Uh -huh. When you stand there, you are cold, but not anywhere else. Right outside the nursery, I want to say. The heart of Hill House. Yeah. The nursery where the daughter lived and died. Uh -huh. And he's like, I bet if you brought in temperature reading equipment, it wouldn't even register a difference. But it's very obviously colder here. And Luke is like, well, why don't we open it up and look inside? 
And the professor says, let's keep the lid on the pressure cooker a little longer. Yeah. But so he sends everybody off to bed. And before they go to sleep, again, I think Nell will get mad at Theo for something. And Theo will say, well, why be mad at me? I don't think you killed your mother. Leave me alone. Okay. Go to sleep. She's mad. (laughs) They go to bed that night in separate beds. Nell wakes up in the middle of the night hearing noises again. And she grabs on to Theo's hand and is talking to her about the noises that she's hearing. Freaking out. They're getting louder. They're getting closer. And as they get closer, Theo must be freaking out as well because she's squeezing Nell's hand really hard. And Nell comments on how hard she's squeezing her hand until ultimately when she calls out to Nell and she gets really freaked out, Theo turns a light on and Nell realizes that she's laying in a lounge across the room from where Theo was in the bed. So who was she holding hands with? Yeah. Mm. But they don't figure it out, and they go out to breakfast, and she comes upon the professor, who is looking at the harp. And he goes, you just missed it. The harp was playing itself. And Nell is just like, what? How? And he's like, honestly... I expected at this point. Right? Yeah. <laughs> he's he's just like, I consider it to be preternatural, meaning this will one day be totally normal. Yes, and explained. And he goes on and talks about how the idea of around Earth scared people until they could figure out how it worked. And once they knew how it worked, it wasn't scary anymore. Mm-hmm. And th- in the same way he thinks that ghosts, once we figure out how this all works, it won't be scary anymore. It'll be explained. It will be natural. And so Nell asks him, well, then what about the noises I heard last night? What about the child noises? Would you call that preternatural? And he says, absolutely. And she goes, or maybe I'm just insane. And he goes... Insanity is the easiest way to ignore the supernatural. Yeah. To just say, she's crazy, and chalk it up to that. Mm-hmm. And just ignore the evidence that's in front of you. Which some people would do. I don't say you're crazy. And this is when Nell will tell her story. What happened? She didn't go to her mom when her mom was calling out to her. Just like the caretaker was too busy making out with her boyfriend... To go to Hugh Crane's daughter when she was dying. And she was relieved that her mother died. But she feels really guilty about it. Yeah. The professor tells her, you shouldn't feel guilty. 11 years is too much for any human. And I think you're a good person. And this, again, (laughs) is more reinforcing in Nell's mind. Oh, he has a thing for me. And this is when he decides he needs to tell her that he is... Married. Married, which we've known this whole fucking time. Uh-huh. We found it out in the very first conversation that he when was When the married. lady who owns the house is like, is your wife going to be joining you? And and he says, no, she doesn't believe in any of this stuff. Yeah, she thinks it's all a bunch of hooey. <laughs> he doesn't use that word. <laughs> anyway, but the heart plays. 
So uh-huh. he gets stopped. He never gets a chance to tell her. And she thinks in her head, all I want is to be cherished. Yeah. Cherish the word I used to describe. No. No. <laughs> that evening, after Luke finds a book that the, that Mr. Crane wrote for his daughter. <laughs> oh, yeah, about all the sins and things yes. like that, the reasons why you might go to hell. Uh, yeah, and, and it's like, oh, he wrote things. it with love to his daughter. <laughs> yes. Jesus. After they have that conversation... Nell gets very upset with Theo. I don't remember exactly what Theo does or says, but we all know that Theo is a catalyst. She likes to spark drama. Uh So she does or says something to which Nell will call her a monster. Yes. And will say that she revolts her. Uh Uh-huh. Here you are. Okay, Isalda. Tristan wants you inside. Leave me alone. Stop trying to be the center of attention, Nell. Come inside. You revolt me. To which... A very hurt, Uh understandably so, Theo will say, you're making a fool out of yourself over him. And Nell has a very interesting reaction. She doesn't get mad. She doesn't get upset. Because I think in the back of Nell's mind as Mm -hmm. a character, she would honestly think, he would never be interested in Exactly. And she's silly for even thinking about it. Exactly. Yeah. It's exciting, but at the same time, there's that feeling at the back of her mind that this is Mm -hmm. not actually happening. And so when Theo says that to her, rather than getting upset, she goes, well... You'd mind terribly if you turned out to be wrong for once, wouldn't you? You poor, stupid innocent. I'd rather be innocent than like you. Meaning what? Now who's being stupid and innocent? You know perfectly well what I mean. Is this another of your crazy hallucinations? I'm not crazy. Crazy as a loon. You really expect me to believe you're sane and the rest of the world is mad? Well, why not? The world is full of inconsistencies. Unnatural things. Nature's mistakes, they're called. You, for instance. And if you can't pick up... Yes, they're talking about the fact that she is a sexual deviant. Fucking bullshit. But yeah, it's without, you know, otherwise, what on earth is she talking about? The ESP? Yeah. Mm-hmm. No. Why else would she revolt her? Yes. She's done nothing to revolt her at this point. Yeah. Aside from be a lesbian. Uh-huh. But poor Nell is about to get a kick in the ass. Because yeah. <laughs> a car pulls up. <laughs> a car pulls up with... Mrs. Markway in it. Yes, I'm his wife. The doctor's wife shows up. And he will beg her to leave, telling her that we are on the verge of a breakthrough here. Please do not fuck this up for uh-huh. me. And she goes, well, I hope no one minds if I join the ghost hunt. And she's like, I want to stay in the scariest room possible. Because she doesn't believe any of this Doesn't stuff. believe in any of it. And... She also says to him, you know what? This is your chance. I have lived with you having this stupid obsession for since we've been married. Uh-huh. Make me believe it. You want me to stop thinking this is stupid? Okay, fine. I want to see a ghost. Why did she show up in the first place, Kelsey? She shows up because a reporter has been contacting her, hounding her, telling her that He's going to report on what her husband is doing, so she's come to kind of alert him to that. Yes. 
she is, again, in total disbelief, so she wants to stay in the most haunted place in the house. And they all refuse to tell her what that is, except for Eleanor will randomly say, there's the nursery. She wasn't thinking. Well, everybody turns on her and is like, what the fuck? Yeah. El- no, Eleanor, it's you very know obvious she wasn't paying house. attention. Mm. No, no, I think I think it's very obvious that she wasn't paying attention, and that it just came out because she knows this house. Or is it the house it. speaking through her? Maybe. Okay, maybe. I'm just saying I don't think it's a. Oh, this is the wife of the guy that I like. Let me. Oh send no, her. no, not that at all. No, I think it's the house speaking. And when it comes her. out, she's all, and everyone looks at her. She's like, oh shit, I did. I wasn't even thinking. Hmm. And Theo says to Nell at one point, I tried to warn you. I tried to warn you. You shouldn't have gotten all your hopes up with this man. Mm-hmm. So she decides to stay in the nursery. The wife does. And the professor will try to talk her out of it. And he's trying to explain that these things are real. This is a fact. Mm-hmm. Please do not ignore me when I tell you that something is going on in this house. She insists. And he says, well, fine, then I'll stay up here with you, too. Well, first of all, they're like, whatever, the nursery's locked. Oh, yeah. And then when they go up there, the door's open. Yes, the door's just open. (laughs) And they tell her, well, the air's going to be really bad. She goes, it's cold in here. There's got to be a draft. But yes, he says he's going to stay with her in that room. But they're going to have, like, set up a night watch sort of thing to make sure everyone's okay. Theo and... Specifically Eleanor. Yes, Theo and Eleanor are sleeping downstairs in the lounge. Luke has the first watch, but Markway ends up falling asleep down in the lounge with Theo and Eleanor. Or it might just be that his wife was like, no, I want to sleep in here yeah, alone. maybe. I don't but remember. it doesn't matter because Luke comes downstairs to have a drink. Have a drink. Again. And upstairs, <laughs> the door slams shut. Yeah, and everyone's like, oh my god. Markway's like, Luke, what the fuck are you doing down here? He's like, what? I was just getting a drink. What about that noise? Oh, it's nowhere near us. It's such such and such. It's on the second floor. And they realize the nursery. Yes. To which Eleanor will say, it didn't hurt me. Why would it hurt your wife? To which the professor says, she might try to do something about it. (laughs) And this is when, so they're running around, you know, it knows I'm here, blah, blah, blah. They will see some crazy shit. They'll see a door swelling. And if you've ever been on the Haunted Mansion. Oh, yes. Oh, yes. Absolutely taken from this. Oh, yeah, 100%. So it's laminated wood is how they do that. So it's not wood like you would normally have on a door. So it, it won't splinter or anything like that. But it is made out of wood. And they just had a really strong dude on the other end of that door just pushing against it. Really? Yeah. And since it's laminated, it bends, but it doesn't splinter or break. So how do they do it at Disneyland? Oh, I imagine there's, it's some sort of synthetic material. I, I don't know. Okay. To, to which, when he sees it, Luke says, hey, Doc, I'll let you have the house for cheap. <laughs> he's realized that this shit is real. Yeah. And you would, so you would not consider watching a door swelling to the point of almost breaking. You would not consider that seeing a ghost? I wouldn't consider it seeing a ghost, no, but I would say that there are probably ghosts here. My point is, is that it it reinforces Markway's point that ghosts do not directly interfere with you. They can scare you. They can manipulate objects. They have psychokinesis. (laughs) But 
you a, a ghost won't punch you. A ghost won't take out your soul or it can't do anything to you. So I think this just reinforces that that you see the things that the ghost is doing, but you never see the ghost. Well, all this shit is happening and he's getting worried about his wife. Eleanor suddenly says, I'll come. It can have me. While they're all dealing with the professor telling him he can't go out there because it's all scary. She leaves through the back door and will run into a statue of the devil. Yeah. <laughs> Which we haven't seen up until this point. A lot of creepy statues, yeah. She will hear a whip snapping, but uh-huh. we never see it. Uh, she gets blown into several rooms, the atrium, the music room. She thinks to herself, the house is destroying itself. She thinks that it's coming apart little by little. She is disappearing into the house. When they get to the nursery, Miss Markway's gone. And the place is kind of tossed. This is when we get another one of those cool effects where she's starting to, f- you know, phase out the world behind her, which we've seen a couple times at this point. But the camera starts getting in really tight and then the lights in the background go down as she's talking to herself. They're talking their volume in the background goes down at the same time. The lights go down and she's just kind of like in darkness. Now, at this point, she's being completely isolated from the rest of the group. And then she leaves this on is her when own. She runs out and yeah. runs into the devil statue. Yeah. It is a cool effect. They do some really interesting stuff with the cinematography in this film. And I love that they cared because, I mean, there's just, there's so many films. uh, I mean, especially in the 60s when everything was very, when it came to like ghost movies, things were pretty silly. Think about 13 Ghosts that came out in 1960, you Mm -hmm. know? Um... Carnival of Souls came out in, like, 1961. I know that sounds silly, but think of them, like, running after her and stuff like that. You know, like, you didn't do where you didn't see anything. Yeah. You didn't do where it's focused on the people and the fact that people can create this fear within themselves. Uh And very little has to happen to create that fear. Yeah. And they showed that in really interesting ways. And that just wasn't something that you saw very often back then. Or maybe it's just that there's a lot of shit in horror. Yeah, maybe. Maybe it's just that. Because, but I don't know, this was... Very impressive for its time. I I wondered why they decided to do it in black and white, though. Was that to add to the gothic atmosphere? Yeah, I think so. I think it was all a whole atmosphere thing. Because, as you said, they had just wrapped West Side Story, and that's definitely in color. Yeah, well, I mean, Psycho was a budget issue. It was cheaper to film in black and white, and it was a choice that he made. You know, you could contrast the light and the dark a lot more effectively with black and white than you can with color. And then she sees the statue of Mr. Crane, and she says to him, We killed her. You and I, Hugh Crane. You and I. You and I. And she begins to dance. And I was, what does that mean? Killed his first wife. So who is she supposed to be? Or the second wife shoved down the stairs? I don't know. But so after Nell has left, Theo decides, I'm taking Nell and I'm getting out of here. But they realize Nell's gone. Yep. Where the fuck did she go? 
So Nell, where is she gone? She has gone to the library. The room where she wasn't willing to go in before. Where she says, it's no longer cold. The smell is gone. I want to stay here always. I won't be alone anymore. Uh I am home. Now, it's important that we focus on the fact that she says, I won't be alone anymore. Because very specifically, in the beginning intro... Mm-hmm. And at the end, those two little monologues very specifically state, whatever walked there... Walked alone. Walked alone. hmm That bothered me. Is it the house tricking her? It's got to be the house tricking her. Maybe, the only yeah. explanation here is that the house is just plain evil. Or that it's isolating them. Because the wording in the second monologue, the end monologue, is different. And I think it's different in a way that I don't think it answers your question, but it makes it less contradictory. Mm. So we'll get to there. But she winds up in in this library and she ends up looking up this spiral staircase. There's a cool effect where the camera just spins around the staircase upwards so smoothly. Apparently, they just had a rig that was built to attach itself to the railing Mm. and they just pushed it up. And it, that's how easy it was to get that effect. And then they turned it around to to show her when she was walking up it, and it would go backwards, looking down the stairs at her walking up. And that's it's really super neat. interesting because the way it's framed, uh huh, the way that it is kind of sideways, just slightly sideways, it's like a skew. Yeah, it looks like she's holding a selfie stick. Oh yeah, <laughs> the way it's filmed and the way that she's walking up and she's, sl- she's slightly facing off uh-huh. to the side. It looks like she's got a selfie stick. <laughs> yeah. But uh, yeah, so she's she's climbing up. The- she feels compelled to climb up the spiral staircase, and that's when everyone else finds her there. Yeah, and Markway's like that thing's gonna break. Come down here, and she's not responding to them. And he decides he's going to go up there to get her. And I wrote down, well, it's certainly going to break with you on it, Markway. If you're worried about tiny little Nell, like, (laughs) now that you're on it, it's going to be even worse. Yes. But it's good that he goes up there. Yes. And he ends up pulling her back. She does not fall over the edge. Yes. So they're both up there on this ledge. And then she sees something terrifying. And then she kind of passes out into his arms. What she sees and Markway does not is a ghostly woman. It is creepy. a trap door. Yes. She sees a creepy lady open up the trap door and then close it. Uh-huh. When she wakes up again, she tells them, oh, did you see it? And Markway's like, no, I have no idea what you're talking about. And she goes, but I'm the one who's supposed to stay. She has taken my place. Meaning Mrs. Markway. She's been taken by the house. She's pissed. Nell is. I don't know that she's pissed because he, then they'll they'll keep convincing her, no, you've got to go, you've got to go, you've got to go. And she goes, I don't have any place to go. And she also says, but the house wants me. No one else can satisfy it. And I don't think your wife will be happy here. And he's just like, I'm going to go get my wife. Like, yeah. leave. The, she'll be fine. <laughs> yes. Uh-huh. But as far as Nell thinks, what happened to Markway, Mrs. Markway, is what she wanted to happen to her. Or a part of her wanted to happen to her. And then they get sidetracked. They, like, forgot the key or something. And she thinks to herself, the house tricks them so easily. And she thinks to herself, something at last is really happening to me. And she ends up driving the car because they've left her alone. Because uh-huh. they need to get the key to the gate or something. Now, how did you read this scene? 
What do you think happened here? So she's driving down the driveway. It's dark. As she's driving, she's fighting with the steering wheel. But she has her hand on it the entire time. Her hands. uh. So we don't know if she's fighting with herself or if the spirit is trying to control the car. And right at that moment... Mrs. Markway being a crazy ass bitch well, okay. run through the fucking it's forest. It's this ghostly woman that we saw before <laughs> runs through the forest, but she's already headed for a tree. So she's she's veering off the pathway, heading for a tree, and the ghost comes by and crashes into the tree. Nell does dying, and we find out, Markway points out that, oh, this is the same tree that the first wife crashed into and died. Is that a coincidence, Chris? I'm accepting the ghost factor in this. I'm I'm not when I do not accept it, it's real life. I like ghosts in movies. <laughs> anyway. So do you think the ghost caused her to crash? I feel like I'd have to watch the movie again. I think it was the ghost. Yeah. Is that a rejection of her or is that how it, it's how it keeps her there? It's how it keeps her It's there. how it finally takes her. It wants to keep all the souls it can keep. Yeah. So Mrs. Markway, Mrs. Markway comes out of the bushes and they're like, oh my God, Mrs. Markway, what the fuck happened to you? And she just has a bullshit response. I woke up and I was frightened. So I tried to find your room, but I got lost. Almost as though the house was doing it on purpose. And I ended up in the attic. Somehow wound up in, in the, the attic. attic. Yeah, which is where Nell saw her. And oh, I'm so sorry. I didn't mean to frighten her. I was only trying to find a way out when I opened the trap door. I wasn't trying to frighten her. What the fuck do you mean you didn't mean to thri- yeah, frighten her? Why would you, you have come out? You had a crazed look on your face. Uh-huh. You opened up the door. You looked at her and then closed the I door. I think the point is, is that she was just as scared. And I think the house took her over. Well, yeah, no, that's how it got her up to the attic. I think she was possessed. But I think she was terrified. And when she opened the door, she didn't, just like Mr. Markway didn't see Mrs. Markway. I don't think Mrs. Markway saw Nell. I think she saw something and got scared. And that's why she closed and didn't open it back up again and say, hey, it's me. It's Mrs. Markway. I'm here. And so she ends up finally escaping the house and running away. And I don't remember who it is says, oh, she must have seen you and gotten startled. And that's why she hit the tree. Oh, no, no. She only saw me the very last instant. The same time I saw her. I don't even know how I got out here. So they're out now, though. But Nell is now dead. And as the movie ends, we get narration from Nell, which is... Almost verbatim, the same narration we got from Dr. Markway at the beginning. Only this time, she says, And we who walk here, walk alone. Hill House has stood for 90 years, and might stand for 90 more. Within, walls continue upright. Bricks meet, floors are firm, and doors are sensibly shut. Silence lies steadily against the wood and stone of Hill House. And we who walk here, walk alone. Yeah, that still doesn't work. Right, but the walking alone doesn't mean individually. It means isolated. Oh, okay. They do say at the very end, maybe she wanted to stay here, maybe she's happier. The house has what it wants. Do you think... 
Eleanor wanted to stay there, genuinely. I think Eleanor now was in a position that she didn't know what else she was going to do. And this being wanted by anything felt good to Nell. It satisfied that urge within her because nobody else wanted her. And she rejected the one other person who actually had a shine to her, which was Theo. You know, and they had back and forth with that. But this is a home. We see, you know, her first scene at the beginning is her losing her home. And this is a new home. It's a new place to belong. It's something that wants her there. She didn't really lose her home. She was living with her sister in this one. It's not the same thing as No, I understand. But she was just living with her mom. And now... Now she's just living with her sister. Yeah. Her sister, who she doesn't get along with, who they're taking away her individuality. Like, yeah, no, I think... I think that this is the easiest way. It's it's very seductive feeling for her. And it's the easiest way to get her most visceral desire. I don't think they compelled her to stay. I think they wanted her to stay. And sh- that felt good to her. She had a purpose. She had a place to belong. Anyway, uh, Russ Tamblin, Luke, was Nell's psychiatrist in The Haunting of Hill House on Netflix. Yeah. That's cool. Mm -hmm. That's really cool. Also, a few other things with the Netflix series. Abigail is the young girl that that Luke befriends, little Luke befriends. Abigail is the name of Hugh Crane's daughter who dies. Who lived and died inside the nursery. Yes. Which, Um, if you've seen the show, you see the connection. Yeah. Uh, However, the oldest brother, Stephen, the oldest... Sister Shirley, there's no analog for them in this story. I think that while the brother is named Luke mm-hmm. and does share similarities, I think he also shares similarities with the eldest brother who doesn't believe in it. Sure. Sure. I think that he kind of probably split him into two characters. And Olivia, the mom, is kind of kind of the caretaker, Abigail's caretaker, with what happens to her. A little bit, but I mean, because so, she's the one that more so just the wife who fell down the stairs. Oh, the second wife. Mm-hmm. No, I, was, I mean, I was thinking with the way she dies is right, literally but she the same. Was also killed by the house. Yeah, but I think you can say the same thing about the the first one, the caretaker, not the 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 one who hangs herself. Oh, yeah, yeah, because because Nell is Eleanor. Yeah, 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 yeah. So yeah, she is the. Oh uh, yeah, I'm talking about Olivia. Yeah. The mom in the new series has no analog in here other than she dies the same way, which is the core premise of the TV show. I promise you we're not spoiling. It's very minor spoilers. <laughs> so, Kelsey, with all of that said, what do you think this movie has on Rotten Tomatoes? I know. What do you know? It's 87. It is an 87. Both psychological and supernatural, The Haunting is a chilling character study. I I mean, I think that goes to exactly what you said about how it's about the people and how they respond. It's not so much about the haunting itself. Mm -hmm. A Metacritic of 74. Cinema score was not working, so I have no idea what the cinema score was. (laughs) Do you think that's overrated or underrated? Maybe just slightly underrated. What would you have given it? I'm going to give it a 90. 
I was hemming and hawing over that. Do I creep up into the 90s or is it just a really high 80s? I think it's very good, especially considering the time, 1963, and the fact that it was willing to to include some things in there that, you know, I mean. It's a little non-traditional. Yeah. You know, with all the sort of schlock horror that you would tend to get back then. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, I mean. They could have erased Theo's character. You would have expected them to. Completely, yeah. They could have completely made her a straight character, and they didn't, which is interesting mm-hmm. as well. Robert Weiss said that he thought the movie was subtle. Right. He thought that they had a like a delicate touch with some of these topics. Mm-hmm. And so he very much intended to keep all that stuff in, but he wanted to be subtle about it. Uh, apparently, there was a scripted scene of Theo breaking up with her girlfriend, which still didn't explicitly say. Well, in the book. Yes. It's, it's it says friend. Yeah. But I mean, she's in an argument with somebody <laughs> and then something like, you know, I hate you or whatever is written in lipstick on the mirror in the bathroom, and you don't necessarily know if it's Theo who wrote that or not. So it's never really explicit in that scripted scene that she's a lesbian, but it it does contribute to it a little bit more. And Robert Weiss was like, no, I want to be more subtle than that. Taking that out is very subtle, but it's it's interesting because like I was saying in the book, they specifically say the word friend and it but but I do appreciate it didn't try to like be like roommate. Right. Or anything like that. And it full on depicts like a breakup. Yeah. But it's with so a if friend. You, right. <laughs> if you don't grok that she's a lesbian, you might be like, they're behaving very oddly for friends. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> it's very clear what's going on there. Yeah. I will give it. I'm genuinely surprised that this movie isn't talked about more. That when you search for the haunting, first of all, the SEO on this is terrible. But when you search for The Haunting and you actually find The Haunting, more often than not, you get the 1999 version, Mm -hmm. which we're going to watch next, which is a shame. Mm -hmm. I cannot believe that this isn't held in higher regard. Granted, an 87 Rotten Tomatoes is really good. It's very good. But why why don't people talk about it outside of the horror discussions, right? Like, people talk about Psycho whether you like horror or not. Why isn't this one talked about? I don't think it's as good as Psycho. But, like, it's good. I don't know. It's a good question. I think I'll give it a 90 as well. I will I will join you in our 90 praise for The Haunting, 1963. Before we get into our next movie, Kelsey, horror trivia. Tony Todd is known for playing what character? Candyman. Yes. 1999's The Haunting was originally going to be titled what? The Haunting of Hill House? Yes. (laughs) There's a story behind that, though, which I will get into, I guess, now. We're going to talk about the second movie in our double feature. The Late Night Double Feature Show. 1999's The Haunting. Should I mention the fact that, I mean, it's very clear. We've already talked about how Stephen King steals some things from here. But also, I mean... The Legend of Hell House, which we both really enjoyed, mm-hmm. it's unfortunate to learn that it came. It steals some came stuff way too. after, and it, it does steal quite yes. a bit. Uh huh. You know, and there's like I feel like this movie, and they just like, call it Hell House instead of Hill House. Yeah. yeah. Uh-huh. And like you were saying, why don't people talk more about this movie? Because it's it's had a huge impact on the genre. Yeah, obviously. 
So that's a good question. Well, interestingly, this movie from 1999, directed by Jan de Bont and written by David Self, is actually based on the Shirley Jackson novel and not a remake of the 1963 film because they actually didn't have the rights to remake that film. They were going to try to adapt again the Shirley Jackson novel. They actually could not mimic any shots from the original. Anything they do that matches the the 1963 original is because it's in the book. Interesting. Yeah. And they were going to call it The Haunting of Hill House, but they decided not to. They call it The Haunting, which again is unique to the 1963 version Mm -hmm. because they were afraid it would get confused with the house of haunted hill remake which came out the same year yeah and i'm sorry it didn't work i still confuse them absolutely everybody does two movies came out the same year one called the haunting one called house on haunted hill yes and like yeah, they got confused. But you know how I never got them confused? Because mm-hmm. one of those movies terrifying. Yeah, yeah, and the other was not. Yeah. stupid. <laughs> Plus, the like I said before, the SEO on the title The Haunting is awful. Especially more recently with all these other movies that are coming out. Like A Haunting in Connecticut and blah, 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 blah. All these other haunting <laughs> movies that came out. But as an example, in order to find the Rotten Tomatoes scores for these movies... I could not find them by going to RottenTomatoes.com and using their search engine because they just didn't come up when you searched for The Haunting. There were 500 results and none of them were this movie. So I I had to Google The Haunting 1963 Rotten Tomatoes and then search through the Google results to find the one I wanted and take me to that page. That's how bad the SEO is on this title. It's unfortunate because, you know, 1963, it's been the haunting for a long time. And then, you know, all the time after that ruined the SEO on it. (laughs) But anyway, like I say, it's not a remake of the Robert Weiss movie. At one point, early, early, early on, uh, and you'll see why in just a second, Wes Craven was going to make it. He decided not to and instead make Scream. I say, you know, it's early on because Scream was three years prior to this movie. So he was in, you know, early pre-production stuff. Steven Spielberg was going to produce this movie. I say was going to because technically he's not credited as a producer on this movie. Okay. He disliked this movie so much that he asked to have his name taken off of it. Yeah, well, it was pretty bad. Well, the original plan was to get Stephen King to write a script and he wrote a first draft. And apparently the two Stevens didn't mesh well. They couldn't come to an agreement. And so they didn't end up using Stephen King's script. And so Stephen King just fixed it a little bit and turned that into Rose Red. Which is basically this movie. <laughs> yeah, because it came originally yes. as a version of this movie. Yes. Go back and listen to our Rose Red discussion. I, I guess, liked if Rose you Red. Want to. Uh, There's well. even a Calliope room. Like that lasted through the process. <sighs> Jan DeBont, who directed this, hasn't directed much. Before this, he directed Speed, Twister, Speed 2 Cruise Control. <laughs> and then after this, he directed Tomb Raider Cradle of Life. Oh, yeah, well, you can see why he shouldn't have made the fucking haunting. Why uh-huh. did they give it to him? I have no idea. I have no idea. He makes action movies. And the, like, it's, it's 
filmed like an action movie. Yeah. And that's really annoying. Makes sense now. It's really, everything is starkly lit. It's, everything's really flat and you can see every crevice of everything. And it's just so not scary. There's no atmosphere in this movie whatsoever. I haven't asked you, what's it about, Kelsey? It's the same story. (laughs) Except that in this version, these are just insomniacs that are being put through. Yes, the pretense is that the doctor, in this version, his name is Dr. Marrow. Like, Bone Marrow. Jesus Christ. Anyway... The pretense is that he's putting on a study for insomniacs, insomniacs. but really it's to be, to see how fear. Oh, there's this whole conversation about why he explains why he can't tell them to his boss at the university. You don't tell the rats they're in a maze. Did the movie expect us to agree with him? Yes. That is incredibly unethical. Actually, no, it's actually not true because later fucking Catherine Zeta-Jones calls him on his shit. Yes. But, like, yeah, are we supposed he, to hate the doctor from the first scene we see him in? Yeah, I think so. Like, that's... Uh, well, I'll get into more of the problems with this change that they made. I don't know if it's in the book, because like I said... It's not. The yeah. book is what the original concept was for the film. Oh, film. interesting. It's the interesting. exact same premise. The movie is free with a subscription on Stars and DirecTV again. You can rent it for $3.00. On tons of different services. If you want to watch this movie and you can't watch it freely, I would recommend you rent it and not buy it. If you buy it, it's $10 on the major services. Should people watch this movie, Kelsey? No. 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 It's terrible. It's pretty bad. Oh, God, the special effects. If it didn't scare me when I was 11 years old, it was bad. You know how I said in the original, you don't ever see a ghost? In this... They can't show you enough ghosts (laughs) in awful 3D animation, like terrible. Like, I don't know what they were thinking for 1999 that they thought this was good enough. I want you to think about how half of the imagery you see in Jurassic Park, what was that, 94, was CG. And then think about the CG you see in this movie. I mean, it was 1999. That's what CG looked like. Do you remember the first I'm telling Harry you, movie? they were very, very confident in this CG. Yeah. Have you seen the first Harry Potter movie? And I'm saying, have you seen Jurassic Park? Also produced by Steven Spielberg. It's just, it, was, it was with the time. It was what they had to work with. And it's they, not what they had to work with. Have you seen? Are you, are you understanding what I'm saying when I ask you that they question? They were mixing that with practical effects. Why couldn't they do that here? Because Why didn't they, they thought get, the CG was so great. Right, this is my point. Why didn't they get a real kid and then CG them into the scene? Why didn't they get a real scary old man and CG? No, they create from whole cloth a virtual dude that's supposed to be scary and he looks like a bad cartoon. Look at it Star looks like Wars. an episode of Scooby-Doo. It's everything at that time was just really, really bad in I know. CG. I agree. I know it was. And, you know, things are never going to be as good as you think they are currently. You know, all the stuff that you talk about. Oh, this is nothing's ever going to get better than this. This is the best. This is the pinnacle of creation. It never is. There's always something better that comes later. And you're going to be embarrassed you ever thought that. I can't imagine anyone thinking this looked good even at the time. Like it's there's some stuff which is good, but like 
Some stuff which is just god-awful. It's bad. Do not watch it. It's not even fun in the sort of like, oh, you know what? I can see the stagehand in the background. It's not even fun in that sort of way. It's just bad. Don't watch it. It's very bad. You can take our advice or leave it. But when we get back, we will talk about 1999's The Haunted. Welcome to Hill House, everyone. Don't you love it here? These are its bones. There's something about the house that I didn't say. This is its skin. There. These are its eyes. Won't you come in? Liam Neeson, Catherine Zeta-Jones. The Haunting. Rated PG-13. Starts Friday, July 23rd. Kelsey, The Haunting from 1999 is... In many ways, very similar to The Haunting from 1963, but in some very big, important ways, (laughs) is a little different. Can we start at the beginning and talk about those differences? So a small difference that we get at the very beginning is between Eleanor and her sister. Virginia Madsen, who is Helen from Candyman. Yes. In this version, it's more the husband that's a dick. And that's the same in the book. Uh It is more the husband that's the asshole. And this time the kid is a son, not a girl. Don't know why they bothered to do that. He also makes fun of Eleanor, but this time he does the whole banging on the wall with the cane, pretending to be the mom. Yeah. And in this case, she owns the house. But Well, her mom does, and they want to sell it. Yes, so they both get the house Uh and the car, but... They want to sell the house and give her the car, but take away the value of the car. From what they earn on the house. Yeah. Like, you're taking away my home and you're giving me a shitty car? Yes. Oh, yes, absolutely. Of course, we'll take out the value out of the sale of the the apartment. It's like, ugh. And so when she's like, what am I going to do? Where would I live? They're like, well, we need someone to be a nanny for our son. And she's like, oh, my God. God. <laughs> yeah, she tells them to get out of their out of her home and the sister's like, "Well, you have no idea how hard it is out there." And she says, "No, you had no idea how hard it was in here." Which I thought was pretty good actually. And then she takes the necklace that her mother owned, which will become very important to the plot. Yep. Because they decided to change some things about the premise. Uh-huh. And then the phone rings. The phone rings. The phone rings. And she's being told about the psychology study for $900 a week about insomniacs. Uh And she decides to go. So, yes, the premise is slightly different. Instead of contacting people that have been somehow involved in psychic phenomena, this time he is pretending to do a study about insomniacs. And we get a... a, Scene with Liam Neeson convincing his boss that mm-hmm. this is the right way to go about it and that he wants disturbed people that you don't tell rats that they're in a maze, so, even though his boss says you cannot do this ethically or responsibly. Yes, and there's no resolution to that, by the way. His boss never says, okay, go ahead and do it. They have an argument. He makes the point of you don't tell rats that they're in a maze, and then the scene ends. Yes. And... All of a sudden, he's doing the study. Yes. As if that's a good argument. Yes. And that's really fucking shitty. Like, what's the point of this? At first, I was like, okay, well, I guess it's to add doubt as to whether or not what they're experiencing 
is real or if it's just him fucking with them. Well, because But they abandoned that like right away. Well, here's the thing, right? We said that the original film was focused more on how these people react to these things that happen that could be supernatural or could not be. Uh-huh. Most likely they are supernatural. Uh-huh. But here it was like, and what if we did that where that was the whole premise was to see how they react. Mm-hmm. And he's specifically actively looking for people with issues, fear issues. Yes. And almost immediately, there's going to be a moment where Liam Neeson, this Dr. Marrow, something weird's going to happen. And we see on his face that I didn't do that. Like the audience knows that stuff is really happening, right? Because we'll see things that are like, oh, like a like a screw unscrewing itself. Like that's not a setup by Dr. Marrow. We know immediately. So it's not for the audience to guess is this real or not. And then also almost immediately the first time something weird happens, Dr. Marrow is like, um, that wasn't me. Like he has this whole look on his face, like, uh, no, this is weird. This is I don't know what this is. Independent of anybody looking at him or anything. So it's not like he's putting on an act. So like it's not for Dr. Marrow. And the subjects aren't supposed to know that they're being tested, so it's not for the subjects. Like, who is this for? I do not know. It's really annoying that they went with this premise. Mm -hmm. But so she gets to the house, and in front of the house are two stone lions. And I don't think we even mentioned the, the lions in the original film. It's It's just this thing where she constantly... Comes up with stories about Fantasies. what could happen if she decided to do something random. Uh-huh. And one of them happens to be that she drives by a house that has two stone lions in the front. And that becomes a thing that she thinks about often yeah. while staying at Hill House. Like that is, oh, it would be great if I had a home that had two stone lions. And even when she just pretends that she has an apartment, oh, there are two stone lions on the mantelpiece. Yeah. And this is a thing from the book. They take it straight mm-hmm. out of the book. But in this movie, they were like, well, let's take that and let's add it to the ghosty stuff. And it's like that kind of defeats the whole purpose. It's supposed to be her a- ability to escape through her mind. Yeah. Can we talk about the house a little bit? Sure. The house is Harlexton Manor. It is in England, Grantham, England, actually. And it's actually American. <laughs> Interesting. Well, it's owned by the University of Evansville, Indiana, and it's a residence for students that study abroad. Did you look up and see if it had been used in any other films? It has, but nothing you've ever seen or heard of. 1972's The Ruling Class, 1988 made-for-TV movie The Lady and the Highwayman, the Last Days of Patton, The Young Visitors, Uncle Silas, The Fantastic, Matushka, <laughs> Treasure Hunt, Fall of Eagles, and Victoria. Okay. Yeah. All right. So it is a filming location, but it's a very British filming location. <laughs> she again has the locked gate. She again has the meeting with Mr. Dudley. However, this is a different interaction a little bit. First of all, we know this actor. This is Bruce Dern. I mean, famous actor Bruce Dern. Yeah, you know. and he's in it for two <laughs> seconds. Yeah. Uh-huh. Random. 
And she asks him, why do you need so many chains? And he says, it makes some people feel more comfortable. People on both sides of the fence, right? Why do you think that is? Mm -hmm. Interesting question. She goes inside. Everything is super oversized. Uh, She starts to hear some footsteps. There's some creepy statues. And this Mrs. Dudley is also more believable. She talks more. She she doesn't just do the speech. She does give the speech, but she does add to it as well. Oh, the hilarious thing is, so when Nell gets there the first time and nobody's there to answer the door, and then she finally runs into Mrs. Dudley and she's like, oh, I didn't know you were here. And Mrs. Dudley's like, I can prepare dinner or I can answer the door. <laughs> One like, of the other. Yeah. <laughs> I thought that was pretty cool. It's a good response. <laughs> It's It's a bitchy one, but it's really good. (laughs) We see the enormous fireplace, which will come into play later. We see the picture of Mr. Crane, the owner of the house. You Crane. He looks like a monster from the get-go. Yeah. She takes her to her room, which will be the red room, which is interesting because in the book it's the blue room. Yeah. And I think in the original film it was the purple parlor. Yeah, there's the purple parlor, yeah, but it's in black and white, so you can't see it anyway. You just got to imagine it. We, of course, see the children's faces. Oh, yeah. Okay, so very famously, in the woodwork of her elaborate decorative bed, right above her head, there are these children's faces. And that's going to be this whole thing. There's this theme of how, of Hugh Crane wanting to fill the house with the voices and laughter of children. It's all about the children. Yes. And she will comment on them. Eleanor will. She'll say they're beautiful. And Mrs. Tudley says, yeah, I've seen them. There's a, they're a lot to dust. <laughs> which I imagine they which would is, be. Which is also funny. Mrs. Dudley has a lot more personality. <laughs> Eventually, Theo will show up, who is played by Catherine Zeta-Jones here. Yep. Yes. And Nell will say, I love your boots. And she will go, Prada, Milan. Not New York. But they're beautiful, but they're killing me. Uh-huh. But what, will, what you'll do for fashion. Uh-huh. And they do the whole Mrs. Dudley gives the speech and Eleanor finishes it for her. But Mrs. Dudley seems a little more kindly in this version. Yeah, she, she's a little bit roll, eye-rolly when Nell finishes her speech. She's like, yes, no, but I say this for a reason. Mm-hmm. <laughs> And immediately this time, because, you know, it's 1999, Catherine Zeta-Jones will totally undress in front of Eleanor. And when they're talking, Eleanor will ask her if she thinks she has a problem with commitment. And she says, my boyfriend thinks I do, but my girlfriend doesn't. (laughs) And we'd all live together if only they didn't hate each other. Yep. So, Get it? Because she's... Uh, she's bisexual. Yeah, not fully a lesbian, guys, but uh-huh. bisexual. Also polyamorous. Yes. When her the people that she's in a relationship with are not. So, like, I don't know. It, it just feels like it's built around being provocative and not yes. actually exploring anything. Exactly. Absolutely. And again, Eleanor will lie about having her own little apartment. And... <laughs> They will see this, like, carving, and she'll be like, oh, my gosh, why are these kids, like, in hell? And Eleanor says, they're not in hell. They're in purgatory. And (laughs) Theo asks her how she knows, and Eleanor goes, because I was there for 11 years. (laughs) 
which is a fun line, but like that uh, you, that doesn't tell us how you know that they're in purgatory. Yes. <laughs> so they decide to go exploring. They find a mirrored hallway. Oh. My God, it's not a mirrored hallway. Well, first it is, and then they find a rotating room that is also mirrored and plays Calliope music. Something straight out of Thir 13 and Ghosts. And House on Haunted Hill. Yeah, like, there is no explanation for what this room is, how it works, and it comes up one more time well, in the fucking It's supposed to be for room. the kids. Okay. What, like a maze of mirrors for the kids? Well, honestly, I remember, and I was shocked when it wasn't in the film. I remember there being a line of dialogue where she talks about how he would he would run them loose in the house and the kids and would play like hide and seek and would murder them when he found them. I don't know about murdering them when he found them, but the hide and seek thing I, I remember from this. I just remember that being part of the plot and then it not being there when we just watched it now and I'm like... You might have misinterpreted the ledger. Yeah. Or misremembered it. I wrote down, what in the fuck is this automated Holomere's bullshit? Yes. They also find some books on water that they run across. Again, it's I think it's supposed to be because it's supposed to be for kids. Uh-huh. And they run into Luke. And in this first meeting of in Luke, the we- The first meeting. The first meeting. We don't get one, but two wows. Two wows. Wow. <laughs> Luke Sanderson, just a bad sleeper. Basic tosser turner. And you are- No, Vance. What kind of sleep room? Nightmares. Not really. Anxiety attacks? No, uh-uh. Okay, obsessive indecision. Wow. And you, let me think. You, I'm going to guess, are a... Get- Don't even start. Wow, you're so dominant. Thanks. And then we meet Mary, his assistant, uh, Liam Neeson's assistant. Oh, we didn't mention Luke is played by... Owen Wilson. That's Owen why Wilson. the wow thing is relevant. Yeah. And he is not the he's not the owner of the house this time. He is just another participant. Another yep. insomniac. And so Todd is this dude who's also part of the group, and then Mary is his assistant. Todd gets like one line and then we'll never see him again. That's At least right. Mary had one other scene. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> They're all sitting around talking. They're discussing their insomnia and how they take different types of drugs to help them get to sleep. Barbiturates, seconals. There's a joke about Jackie Suzanne. At one point, he doesn't say wow, but he does say meow. Yes. <laughs> it sounds a lot like wow. What do we all need in life? What are the basics? Food, water, shelter. Sex. Wow. And sleep. They ask Eleanor, why do you sleep badly? And she goes, I don't have any reason to, other than the fact that for the past 11 years, I've dealt with relentless banging all through the night. And I still hear it at night, and that's what causes me to wake up. We also find out that they are not close to the town, there is no TV, there is no phone, but Liam Neeson has a cell phone in case of emergency. Which he calls his cell telephone. Yes, he does. <laughs> and as you were told, there's no telephone service, there's no TV, and the caretakers tend to lock the gate when they leave. However, I do have my trusty cell telephone 
case of emergencies. They're in this lounge area here. And this is when they're talking about like kind of the history of the house. And he doesn't, he intentionally doesn't tell them much. He tells them little like seeds of things to get their imaginations running. But I wrote, it's kind of off-putting that they aren't like here for the house. They do ask him about that. Why are we in this particular house? He's like, oh, isolation is important for the ex- for any experiment. Like, it seems like you have to bend over backwards to get all of this to mesh up. Mm-hmm. I prefer the original, that they're specifically here for the house. Yes. But he will tell them that Crane built the house for his wife to fill with children. But the wife had all these kids that died in childbirth. And then eventually his wife died, and he just kept building room after room Uh after room, just like Winchester. So this was taken from the Winchester legend, which really did happen. Yeah, we talk about Winchester when we discuss the movie Winchester. Check out our backlog. That movie sucks. Oh, man. It started with such promise, too. (laughs) Meanwhile... Mary, his assistant, do we know her from anything in particular? I imagine you haven't seen 2002's Blood Work with Clint Eastwood. Nope. Have you seen Mimic from 97? I know, I've heard of it, but no. But so she is listening and she says, I think there's more to that story. There's something with us. Can't you feel it? It's it's in the walls. It's around us. It's in the air. It's in this. And she touches this thing that she was playing earlier. I don't know. Is it it's a piano? piano? Yeah. Uh-huh. And the wire, which has been undoing itself. Oh, it's been tightening. Oh, it's been tightening. Yeah. Breaks. So when she touches it, it, it snaps. And snaps right up on her eye. She almost loses an eye. Yes. So then Todd has to take Mary. And yep. bye-bye, Todd. And, and then they leave for the rest of the movie, and they're never mentioned again. And you will see Liam Neeson a couple times holding his cell phone, like, nervously because he hasn't heard from them. That'll never br- get brought up again. Nope. Never nope. find out what happened to them. But when they leave, Liam Neeson and Lou- and Owen Wilson walk them out, and Liam Neeson tells Wilson alone about the fact that Renee, the wife of Crane, killed herself in the atrium. And we find out later when Liam Neeson is recording on his voice recorder, his notes, that Owen Wilson uh, scores really high on the unreliability matrix or whatever, and that he fully anticipated and planned on him then sharing this story with the rest of the participants. Which he does immediately. Mm Mm-hmm. And he tells them that Crane uh, was cruel to his wife, which is why she killed herself. That night, Owen Wilson will wander around the house with a baseball, because he's bored, and a glove. And Catherine Zeta-Jones will give a beautiful shawl to Eleanor. While she's brushing her hair. Yes, there's there's a a little bit of flirtation going on. When Eleanor tries to go to bed, she looks up and the children are, you know, staring at her, those little faces. But there's also these spikes that are right above her. And I'm like, it doesn't seem safe. No. And the faces do turn and look at her this first evening. Dr. Marrow will run into Luke while Luke is wandering the halls. And they will have a discussion about fears. 
Luke will also see the door at the end of the hallway, which we don't know what's behind that door. In the original, it was the nursery. We don't know what it is here. It's really unclear the layout of the house, especially in this one, but not in an interesting way where it's like, oh, this is a confusing house to get around. They just leave things out. People regularly walk through doors and they don't tell you what's on the other side of that door. Have you said what you don't like, how they changed the layout here yet? Have you talked oh, about Oh, no, that? I haven't. Their interpretation of no right angles is that all the hallways are in a curve. So everything's in a big circle. That's Which, why it gets confusing. It doesn't make it more confusing. Like, it's a curve. And curves can be anticipated. Well, but there's also many different rooms. Yeah. But it's like, I mean, imagine running down the halls of the Starship Enterprise. That's in a curve, too. Like, come on. No. The point is, is that they're irregular angles. It bothered me. Well, back in Eleanor's room, she hears the knocking on the wall and again thinks it's her mom. It's not. Again, Theo will call out for Nell. They will have the cold. They will see the doorknob turning. Uh-huh. All the same stuff. Oh, interesting thing to point out here, which I talked about when we were watching the movie, is that so Nell and Theo, again, they have adjoining rooms joined by a bathroom and you can lock the door on the bathroom side and Theo locks her door to the hallway, but not to the bathroom. As a matter of fact, her door to the bathroom is wide open as if being inviting to the other person on the other side. Yes. Nell keeps the door door on her side of the bathroom closed, but doesn't lock it. Mm-hmm. And so I just thought that, that was interesting that they thought about those details. Yes. Again, when they open the door, they find Luke. Except Dr. Marrow is not with them this time. We right. get our third wow here. Yes, we do. We get I sort of got wow. screwed on the bedroom selection. <laughs> yes. Wow, I sort of got screwed on the old bedroom selection. Every room's like four times as big as mine. And it's cute. When Theo opens the door, Theo's like, what are you doing here? What did you hear? And he goes, all I heard was you screaming for me. Mm-hmm. And she was like, I wasn't screaming for you. Like, she was <laughs> screaming for Nell. Yeah. W- was it part of the experiment? What, what part of the experiment? The noise. What did you hear? Theo, all I heard was you screaming. Luke, help me, please. I wasn't screaming for you. And Luke is convinced that what they were her- hearing what were the pipes. And he shows them in Dr. The, Marrow does, yeah. In the kitchen, like this is what it sounds like when you turn that on. It is really loud. And they go, I guess, but Nell's like, what about the cold? Uh-huh. That doesn't explain the cold. Oh god, Jesus. The CG condensation coming out of their mouths. Yes, there's a lot of look, look. <sighs> <sighs> And it even, they get it, okay, so it's manually manipulated, <laughs> right? Like, it's it's added in in post, and they get it wrong because Theo exhales, realizes that there is no condensation, and so says, oh, I think it's passed, but they added the condensation to that exhale. But there was a lot less than there had been in and the then, previous. And then in the next breath, there's absolutely none. Why not do that and then have her say that? Because I think she's getting the impression that it's getting warmer. No. No, it's bullshit. It's okay. a bad It's a bad decision. Well, they all go back to bed and Eleanor will then see a child 
Floating in the curtains. I wrote here, the CG is so terrible. Floating in the sheets, and then eventually on the pillow next to her, whispering whispering her name. Yeah, I mean, some stuff is impressive for 1999, I will say. I thought thought that the sheets, the curtain, I wouldn't really call them necessarily curtains. I don't think of them. They're like sheets that hang over the windows. I thought they flowed really well for being digitally inserted. But then when they fall over this child, this ghost, it's it doesn't look human. It looks like a cartoon. Yes. That's a it's throughout the entire goddamn movie they did this. Yes. It was really off-putting and terrible CG. It was 1999. The next day, Luke will say, I think Dr. Marrow's up to something, which he absolutely is. We get another wow here. Yeah, where he says, I definitely have a soft spot for Theo. Yes. I don't know. I just think Dr. Marrow's up to something. Tell you another thing. I'm going to get to the bottom of it. Right after I check on Theo, that is. See how my old pal Theo's doing. Doing or wearing? Yeah, no kidding. Did you see what she had on yesterday? Wow. Yeah, I definitely got a soft spot for Theo. Eleanor will see something scary in the fireplace. What did you think she saw? Because it's only for a flash. I, I mean, I don't, I, I don't know for certain, but it wasn't the lion head. It was like Hugh's face or something. That's what like I that. thought, yeah. like a giant version of a face. Yeah, because Hugh is giant. When we're we're gonna see him by the end of this movie, and he's this. Video game boss of a ghost. Yes, he is. But when they, when she shows everyone, when she takes everyone over to the giant fireplace, all that ends up happening is they almost die when this enormous flu, which is also a stone lion's head, comes Mm -hmm. flying through. There's no reason it would need to be that big. Yeah. Other than to be dangerous. Yeah. uh Uh-huh. And everything in this house is big. This is apparently one of the largest sets ever built for for a movie or something like that. Well, I, I noted that everything is oversized. Mm. When they when they built it, they built it in the same hangar that kept the spruce goose. But yeah, Eleanor keeps swearing up and down that that was not what she saw. But when they walk away, Eleanor gets more upset because now up on the wall it says "Welcome home, Eleanor," painted in red. Is it paint? Is it blood? Across Hugh Crane's picture portrait. Yes. And this is where Marrow gives that sideways look at the painted message like, I didn't do that. Well, they accuse him of it. They think he's doing it to freak them out. And he's like, what, with a 20-foot ladder that I, or, or no, that's Luke. Yeah. Luke says, what, with a 20-foot ladder that I just keep in my pocket? Uh-huh. Which is an excellent point. Uh-huh. How could any of them done have done it? Who has that who has that ladder just hanging around that nobody's seen or heard? And of course, Eleanor just goes, I want to know right now who wrote this. And she again accuses Theo because she wants to push Theo away, even though I think that they've really not delved into that. Mm-hmm. Just funny, because like you said, this film wants to be super provocative, but it doesn't feel like Theo is being as No, like aggressive or confrontational Mm -hmm. as she is in the original Mm -hmm. because yeah i would understand it's like oh no you're the one that's always trying to push buttons but she's really not in this movie right 
And of course, after Eleanor thinks it was Theo, Theo turns and is like, well, what about you? It could have just as easily been you looking for attention. And she says, whoever did it, this is cruel. And when she walks away, we see red footprints on the wood that no one else sees somehow. And these are not, like, invisible, because they'll see them later. But it is cute. After everybody leaves, Luke's left. He just goes, I didn't do it. (laughs) (laughs) I didn't do it. This is, like, maximum Owen Wilson. (laughs) It is. And they will then see the atrium with the staircase. Okay, so yes, the staircase is now in the atrium. It runs across like a catwalk up high in this giant greenhouse. And there is this pond in the center of the atrium that is sculpted like it's a giant bath that has this giant man just lounging in it. And I fucking love this set piece. It is in incredible i want a giant atrium like this and i want this in the center of it it's really cool (laughs) what it has to do in the movie is stupid (laughs) but the object itself the prop itself is really badass i just love how gigantic it is but also like ground level and i don't know i think it's really cool it reminds me a lot and I have absolutely no idea where we were in somewhere in Washington, D.C. There's a, like, a playground. And it's it's as if, like, a giant has fallen. And so there's giant pieces all over the ground. And one of them is his giant face. And you can crawl into his mouth and, like, pretend like you're being swallowed and stuff. <laughs> And it's very cool, and it reminded me of that. Interesting. This is where Eleanor has a line, which is going to seem random and weird, but then it makes sense when you know what's going to come. So she says, I can either be a victim or I can be a volunteer. I'm going to be a volunteer. Which seems weird. No, I think it's a... Like, she doesn't have a choice right now. But she could make a choice to just leave. I think that would reinforce her being a victim in her mind. But so they tell Mrs. Dudley to clean off the the print up on the up on the portrait. Uh-huh. And when they've scrubbed it all off, now his face looks like a skeleton. Did you oh, catch that? Cuz apparently they painted a skeleton under his face. Yes. Ugh. Now she sees and Eleanor will see the red footprints which will lead her to Yes, it's in the library. They lead into a bookcase. Yes, a secret door as in an actual secret door. Yeah, and so she pulls away the bookcase, and then there's a staircase that leads down, and she finds this is Hugh Crane's secret study. And she finds a ledger full of people's names, their name, their age, and their occupation. And there were a lot of children in this ledger whose occupation was labor, whose names were crossed out. And that's the only information we get, the only actual expository information we get about this. But it's pretty obvious he's killing children. She extrapolates from this that she's taking children from these work environments that they're working in and bringing them to the house where they disappear or they're dying they're dying yes 
She tries to show this to Theo, who says that she's worried about her and sends her off to bed. Eleanor will tell the room, filled with the children faces staring at her, that she's listening. She will sit in front of the mirror and start to brush her hair. They will try to do it for her, which freaks her out at first. More bad CG. Yes. She goes to look for Dr. Marrow. Instead, she finds his tape recorder, which she listens to, where she finds out that he has assessed her as being emotionally unstable. Yeah, and basically she discovers what the experiments are really for and all of that. So the secret's out now. She tries to tell Luke and Theo during this moment is when she will see Mrs. Crane hanging from the... The ceiling, and they can't see her. Yeah, from the rafters. But my point is, the secret's out. It doesn't contribute to the story at all, except to provide drama between the characters. But this isn't a character study like the last one was. This is a ghost child murder mystery. And not even a good one at that. (laughs) And so it's like, when all this is, is just drama for people to yell at each other. It's like, I don't care. (laughs) She will randomly run into the library where she will randomly find a photo album where she will see that his second wife was named Carolyn and had the same necklace with a C on it that she has now. Uh-huh. And when when the book falls open and she starts to see the photos, what happens in the photos? Oh, it turns into a flip book and it points her to... The fireplace. The fireplace. Where she will go and find... Skeleton. Which which pops up and totally made me jump. Uh-huh, it did. It, I can confirm. Kelsey jumped. <laughs> so it got me. Uh-huh. Even though it's just a stupid CGI skeleton. By the way, they looked, when they were looking to... When, when Nell freaked out the first time she saw something in the fireplace, they looked in that ash area at the bottom of the fireplace... That you close when it's not in use. Well, they opened up one, one half. side, yeah. And so that's the thing. Oh, look, nothing in here. And so when she goes to look again later on at this point in the movie, she opens up the other half. And that's where all the bones were. And also, <laughs> if the kids want her to find the skeleton, why did the skeleton pop out and scare her? Right. Oh, that's right. Because it's a movie and we need jump scares. Exactly. So she's following the voices because they're telling her to follow them. And she's trying to open that door at the end of the hallway that Luke saw earlier, which we're pretty sure is going to be the nursery. And what happens? The door punches her. (laughs) Like a hand. Doesn't come out of the door. The door turns into a bad CG fist, a giant fist, and like punches her away. Yes. (laughs) So stupid. It's silly. It is silly looking. And this is when she will find again the other test subjects and she will tell them that he, that Hugh Crane was killing the children from the mills and now he still won't let them go. They're still inside the house. They're trapped in purgatory, basically. And now he wants me. And Liam Neeson is just like, this is fucked up. She's in a fugue state. We got to get her the fuck out of here. She's flipping out. So a little bit of an explanation because the movie doesn't do much to explain this. But she's come to the conclusion, like Kelsey said, that she is a descendant of the Cranes. Because she has this necklace that belonged to her mother. Yes. And that Hugh Crane wants her as 
part of the family because she is, but the children also want her to save them. Mm-hmm. Yes. So that's the conflict going on. There are these two sides in this conflict in this house, and both sides want her to stay. Yes. This is when Liam Neeson feels the need to tell them that they are, in fact, participating in a study about group fear and and hysteria, and that none of what they've been experiencing is real. But as Chris pointed out, Liam Neeson can't explain certain things. Right. Although Liam Neeson has come to the conclusion, we didn't say this, when she listens to his tape recorder, he's come to the conclusion that Nell did it herself. Yes, but that she's deluding herself. But again... Where is this 20-foot ladder? Right. He's trying to be the rational one. This is the only point where the conflict between he was originally trying to scare them and it's actually a haunted house. This is the only time where it ever peeks its head and has any sort of impact on the story is that Dr. Marrow says, no, you're scaring yourselves because I set this up for you guys to scare yourselves. But none of the things he did to scare them, except for tell a little bit of that story to Luke? Mm-hmm. Like, did he actually put into practice? So what are they scaring themselves with? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. They could have done more with this, is what I'm saying. I don't have a problem with this storyline in the abstract. I have a problem with the execution of it. Mm-hmm. And Nell says what we all always think, I can't believe you won't just look. I'm telling you to look at the fucking fireplace, and you just won't. Uh-huh. So they're always. like, fine. This is always <laughs> my problem. It's uh-huh. like, you want to call me crazy fucking fine. Why won't you just look at it? Uh-huh. Then call me crazy. Yep. Ugh. And Liam Neeson will shout at Catherine Zeta-Jones that he is trying to help them, and she will slap him across the face. How dare you? <laughs> You are not trying to do shit. You're trying to get famous. Yep. Oh, and she says, you don't feel. I am trying to help people. My field of study is the science of fear. I try to understand why people act the way they act, why they feel the way they feel. You don't feel. Yeah, because he says something like about feeling. I, I don't know. It's a stupid sort of, it's supposed to be a punchy line. It's not a very good one. And now that Eleanor has left... This is when Liam Neeson says, I'm going to go find out what she was talking about. After I've sent her away and told her she's Uh crazy, now I'm going to go and check it out myself. But when he goes to look at it, it's locked and he just gives up. Uh What am I doing? I can't (laughs) believe I was going to check this out. It's locked. Clearly somebody did this, Uh but I'm not going to find out why. Infuriating. So infuriating. So... In her room, she's trying to sleep, Eleanor is, but she can't. And there is a shadow that comes across the walls. And the shadow will become part of the walls. And then the the windows will become the eyes oh, inside. Jesus. And the whole house will become alive. Okay, so this entire scene, what we get are the eyes, the moving shadow. At one point, she is forcibly yanked from her bed. Or shoved out of her bed. And the first thing she says is, she looks at her hand and says, who's holding my hand? Oh, who's holding my hand? There was never any indication with all this shit going on that anyone was supposed to have been holding her hand. They included it because they felt Because it was in the original and they had no idea why they used that line in the original and why it worked. Because they completely fucked it up in this one. Yeah, it's really bad. 
And it's a throwaway line. You can barely even hear her say it. Yep. Why even include it? I agreed. Just take it out. Mm-hmm. The children get very scared faces and they look around the room. <laughs> He's in the window, Frost. Wait, here's a question. Here's a question about the children in the bed. Did Hugh Crane carve that after they died? One, did he carve it before they died? And when they died, they just haunted the nearest thing that looked like a kid. Or when they died, did that bed frame physically change to incorporate them? I would guess that it was all built into it originally. And when they started to become part of the house, they took on the features that felt the most like them. But the point is, <laughs> the point is they have this setup with no plausible explanation because they didn't even think about that aspect of it. Yeah. They're they just, just like, wouldn't it be creepy. creepy if? Yeah. Yeah. Just to be creepy. That's all it was. She will yell out. I don't even know if we mentioned this. She will yell out, I will not let you hurt a child. They say that in the first one as well. That's her whole thing uh -huh. is that she feels that she needs to protect children. children yeah. So she will be running around the house and she comes upon that hallway of mirrors where her face will start to change and she doesn't like it. It scares her. And this then the only other time we see this hallway of mirrors in fear, no she runs into the rotating room. That one. Yes. Sorry. Yes. And in the rotating room, she again sees herself because it's mirrors. And this time she watches herself get pregnant. Uh huh. And then she tells herself, welcome home, Eleanor. And this is like, scary but then she realizes why do you want me what are you trying to tell me because you know these ghosts that can make all these crazy things happen mm -hmm. can still only talk to you through really scary shit this room of mirrors of automatically rotating mirrors powered by gears and levers and all this stuff serves just that one function in the entire fucking movie yes it's so lame you could have done that with any other thing yes Absolutely. A ghost will come at her and say that only the doors can hold him. He's coming. I don't know what that's supposed to mean. How does that fit into the lore here? So there's this giant steel stone door, metal door with the carving that we mentioned earlier of the kids in purgatory. Oh, that. Yeah. Where is that in the house? Do we this know? is what I'm telling you. They don't tell you. And and, we've and why seen... would he have that in his house if it could judge him? Exactly. We've seen Owen Wilson open the door, go through the door. It, like, we'd have no idea what that door separates. And it's not in such a way that, oh, man, you just don't know the layout of the house because it's so maze-like. No, it's just, they're just not giving you information that's readily available to everyone. It's totally unclear. But, yes, they're referring to that door. Okay, well, they did not. That... That happens at the very end, uh -huh. and you don't really get why. <laughs> yes. They tell her, help us. She's running up the staircase after them, and she finds that she's in the atrium on the spiral staircase. And they're asking her to help them by asking her to kill to herself. To kill herself? So I guess as a spirit, she can protect them? Right, and... Like, she kind of says that later, but, like, what she ends up doing to actually help them kind of requires her to be alive. Yeah. I don't know. It is very confused. It is a very confused movie, and it's because they wanted to incorporate these two different stories uh -huh. together. And it's like, well, 
that's not why she was killing herself in the original film. In the original film, she was killing herself because the house, the evil house, was trying to wanted her. her. Yeah. Here you're telling us that children want her to save them. Why does that require her to die? Yeah. But so she ran up this these stairs, and as she was running up them, what's happening to the stairs? They're falling apart. The screws are literally coming undone. And Liam Neeson climbs up the staircase to get to her. In the meantime, his cell phone falls and shatters and it doesn't matter. They yeah, make a big deal about it. it explains how they can't call anybody later. I guess. <laughs> when they're all panicky. And he ends up stopping her from jumping. The whole stairway completely falls apart in this version. And so they just walk the catwalk into, I guess, another room because that catwalk leaves the, the giant greenhouse atrium. Uh, who knows where it goes and how they get down from there. Because the movie just doesn't fucking tell you this shit. Are you sure about that? Yes. Wow. 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 Like, it walks through. I mean, just think of a greenhouse and then think of a giant greenhouse, right? It's all glass. It comes to a point at the top, so the the ceiling is, is angled, right? And there's just an opening in the side of the ceiling, and the catwalk goes right into this opening. And that's how they leave the room when they're up there. And that's the last we see of them up there. So why why he couldn't go whatever that other route is to get to her? Right. Well, but now, you know, they sent he Liam Neeson explains, well now my phone's gone, so we gotta wait till the morning when Mrs. Dud when the Dudleys show up. So yeah. just go to bed. And he stays in the atrium considering what's happening and what happens to him. He gets grabbed by the giant in the bath who just pulls him underwater for a little bit and then just lets go of him. Yeah, and he just walks away like, that was weird. Uh (laughs) Uh-huh. Maddening. Just maddening. Just literally walks away. That was weird. So she was supposed to be left with Luke. Well, Luke sleeps on the couch out in the hallway. So that's really useful. She's in her bedroom, Eleanor is. And remember how we said they have those spikes? Well, the spikes come to life. They come down and they pin her down. They don't kill her. No, they just kind of cage her. Which they could do. Yes, very much so. They just kill her, but they don't. And then there's like a face, a giant face in the ceiling that's pressing down and coming to like, but it's not going to do anything while they figure out how to get her out of this bed. Luke ends up breaking the wood with a giant candlestick. Yes. And they carry her out. Oh, and hands keep coming after them. But yes. never able to actually grab them. Uh, because, of course. Yeah. The gate is locked. Let's try to climb it. They can't. They can't break the chain. Owen Wilson goes and gets Nell's shitty little gremlin and tries to crash that into the gate. Tries almost to Almost dies the that gate. way. Yeah. He almost gets killed with a spike from the gate, but doesn't. Uh-huh. The car catches fire. Well, no, it doesn't. It the, It's leaking gas. Oh, oh but no. nothing happens. Get out of the car. Nothing happens. But nothing happens, yeah. Where's Nell? She's run back into the house. Oh, shit. Let's go back in there. Oh, God. The nursery door is open. What's going to happen? It's a blue nursery, which is weird because her room is supposed to be the blue room, but whatever the fuck. Uh It's a blue nursery. And it's not. It's Nell's mother's room. Yep. And everybody's like, what the fuck is going on? And they're like, Nell. Get out of here. And Theo's like, you can live with me now. It'll all be we'll good. Go, we'll live in, that, in your apartment that you told me about, which is obviously fake. And she says, I'm right where I'm wanted. And I'm like, you made it her mother's sick bedroom. Right. That's not where she that's wants where to be. That's where she's wanted for the rest of her life? Yeah. 
again, they're just trying to make it like, oh, isn't that creepy? Yes, exactly. But then why would she respond this way? She says that, oh, here we go. She's saying that he is still hunting the children. Maybe that's where I got it from and I just built it up in my mind. I don't know. But she says, if I'm here, he can't hurt them. No explanation as to why Mm -hmm. that is, but apparently it is. Yep. It just is, Kelsey. Mm Mm-hmm. I think like he the the shadow comes after them and she and Eleanor's like, "Uh Uh-oh, it's not safe for you. You should get out of here. So now that we've all come back in after Nell and we found the secret, now we've got to rush out of here again Uh because now all the doors are shutting and he's not going to let them leave, even though he let them leave earlier. I don't understand. Why does Owen Wilson go into the giant fireplace? He's okay. So Luke defaces the rest of the portrait of oh, yeah. Ukraine. He, he beats it with the candlestick. <laughs> and, of course, Eleanor tells him not to do that. And he goes, let's burn the house down. That's why he goes into the fireplace. So he goes in the fireplace, and he's like, let's set this thing on fire. And then, of course... Promptly decapitated. By the lion flu handle thing. With the face with turned the, towards yes. him, which it was not turned uh-huh. the other time. Just so conveniently his head can fit in its mouth mm-hmm. so it can pop his head off mm-hmm. and decapitate him. Yes. It's so unrealistic and incredibly predictable. And then here is where Eleanor will say he wants us to hide. He wants you to hide. And that's when Liam Neeson will go, what does he think? This is a game? Yes, maybe of that's, course that's what maybe he thinks. That's, yeah, okay. yeah, it seems like they're kind of building up this lore that he would play games with them and then really murder them. shittily. Yes. She fights a, an eagle statue until it just decides until, yes. to go back to normal. Oh my God. Like it comes to life and she's like, Die, die, die. And then it's like, I didn't like that. And it goes back to being statue. Yeah. It's just, this is the moment in the movie where just things need to happen for no fucking reason. We uh, just the need action towards the climax. And Catherine Zeta-Jones disappear for a little bit. Don't well, know yeah, where she, the fuck they go. She chases after them and then she loses them in these curved hallways. And then she decides to go after Hugh Crane. Like she forgets that she was chasing after her friends. And then she's like, Hugh Crane, come out and fight me. And everybody in the audience is like, wait. Weren't you looking for your friends? It's it's okay because the friends will come back out of nowhere. Out of nowhere. With no explanation as to where they were. But Hugh Crane will come out of the painting, which Chris liked. So it's a giant painting. Oh, no, I don't like the visuals. I like the concept of how he just comes out of this painting and he is that. Like, I, it makes me feel vaguely Ghostbusters 2, you know, with with the evil painting, Uh which, I mean, as... Not as good as the first one that Ghostbusters 2 is. The painting always creeped me out as a kid. Like, it really did. It was very scary. It's so funny, because the scene that terrified me, now I watch it, I'm like, this is what scared me? Out of all of the shit in this movie? What really terrified me in that movie is when he dresses up as Mary Poppins and steals the child. Oh. Just that one particular scene. When what's his face? The nightmares. Yeah. About that. But everything else in the scene and the rest of the film. (laughs) Kind of like in Return to Oz. Movie petrified me just because of the wheelers. Wheelers. Nothing else scared me from the movie. But anyway, yes. This giant Resident Evil boss ghost (laughs) comes out of the painting (laughs) and. It, like, screams at her. He doesn't even speak English. He just... 
And like, seriously, you got to see, follow us on Twitter. I I will post a picture of this. He looks so stupid. (laughs) So stupid. So how does she beat this giant ghost? While she's yelling at him, I guess. That's when Catherine Zeta-Jones and the doctor will randomly show up. randomly show up again. And do nothing. Yeah. What happened? He's mad. um, But it's always been about family. She says something and the ghost will yell, no, you're not. You leave them alone. I'm not afraid anymore. I'm not afraid of you. The children need me and I'm going to set them free. Even in death, you still wouldn't let them go. I'm going to stop you now. He does that. No. <laughs> he does a lot of no. Dark Vader knows. Yes, yeah. a lot of those. But she runs towards the door and he gets And I guess closes the, the door, door and the door judges him. And he gets sucked into the door. So the demons that are holding on to all the kids in the door let go of them so the kids can be freed and go to heaven. Children are saved. Yes, and then grab him instead and pull him into the door. And then she is laying there for whatever reason. Nothing happened to her, but suddenly she's dead. Okay, and now, <laughs> I, I feel like I need to be clear thinking back on this. When they pull him into the door, I don't mean they pull him through the doorway yeah, no, into no, no, the no, next no. room. No, it's pulled physically into, into the, into the door. door. You can see him carved, and he looks like he's in agony in the door. Uh-huh. But like I and said. there's a skull-faced demon that's just holding onto him. Yes, but then Eleanor is just dead. Dies like nothing happened to her. She just dies, and she's all happy as a ghost. Like, yeah, because we have these kids. Uh-huh. And Catherine Zeta Jones gives the worst wistful look I've ever seen. It is really, really bad. And then it's in the morning, morning, when it's just Catherine Zeta Jones and the doctor, Mister Dudley's like city people. And I'm like, was that supposed to be a joke? I think at that the was end supposed to be a joke. And then. Like, he asks him, did you find what you wanted to know, doctor? And it ends with the calliope music. And I'm left thinking, there's two dead bodies in that house. Yes. (laughs) Just leaving the Dudleys to deal with them? Yes. I mean, Marrow's fucked. (laughs) His unethical experiment led to the deaths of two people. One person almost loses an eye. Like, he is fucked. Yes. What happens next? Exactly. I don't know. <laughs> this was bad, guys. Can you see why Steven Spielberg took his name off of it? It was really, really bad. There's one note that I didn't get to, probably because I don't remember exactly where it is in the movie, but they, like, do these sort of, like, tests and packets. It's yes. reminiscent of the first movie when they're answering questionnaires. But part of them is, like, taking these psychological tests, and one of them is, like, it's like a maze that's on a kid's placemat. Yes. At a restaurant. Yes. And it's like, seriously, that's part of their psychological tests? Yeah. It's just supposed to harken back to his thing about rats in a maze and yes. how the house is a maze. But it's not. It's just the movie doesn't show you what's going the on in them. It's just shit. It, it, it's a bad movie. Yeah. 
the tagline for this movie was some houses are born bad, which is a line that is in Rose Red. Well, it's in the original film, too. It's in the book, too, I think. And I mean, that's basically what he's saying in The Shining. Yeah. Some houses are born bad. So what do you think this movie has on Rotten Tomatoes? God, I hope it's 30 or less. Is it 30? It's 15. Thank goodness. (laughs) Sophisticated visual effects fail to offset awkward performances and an uneven script. Wow. Wow. I guess at the time, reviewers thought the effects were the best part. I told you, the 90s. It was 99. They thought that looked good. But, I mean, you put it up against actual good CG from before then. But again, that was when they were using both practical and oh, CG. Oh, so, so maybe what you're saying is that maybe they shouldn't have relied 100% on CG yet, and they did anyway? Absolutely, yeah. but they did anyway. That's my point. it was 99. But it still looked bad. I remember it being like, everything looks plasticky, rubbery, like nothing looks like the texture it's supposed to look like. I'm telling you, Star Wars, Harry Potter, any movie that came out around this time that used CG heavily, it all looked like bullshit. And I thought so at the time, and people thought I was crazy. No, it's, well, it's for two reasons, right? One is overreach. They think they can do anything with CG. And two is budgetary reasons. They give them tight deadlines and no money and turn it and, oh, you got to turn it. They think that CG is magic. What was the rule? The rule is that it's either going to be. No, it's it's fast, cheap or good. Pick two. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Anyway, it's I have no idea about the timeline, but I imagine it wasn't very cheap and it also wasn't very good. So <laughs> it must have been fast. <laughs> 42 Metacritic. Which should be lower. Mm-hmm. Do you think this movie is overrated or underrated? I was going to give it a 20. I, that's exactly what I was thinking. I can't really give a good justification as to why. I guess because... I There's some like, stuff I legitimately liked in this movie. I feel like the main girl does a pretty decent job as Eleanor. Lily Taylor. Yeah. I think she does a decent job. She I does think, all right. I there think are some the scenes rest that are of the cast asking is asking too much. I think the rest of the cast is fine. I don't think anybody did anything like amazing, but I don't think anybody was, oh my God, this is so bad. In that scene where she's supposed to be running around the house in a panic and she ends up in the room of mirrors, like it's obvious that all Jan de Bont told her was just be panicky. Like she had nothing to do. Yeah, well, this it makes no sense to me when you read off the rest of the movies that he's done. I why would you give him a horror movie? And honestly, I would blame a lot of this on him and a lot of it on the script. I, well, I think that was one of the reasons why Steven Spielberg clashed ultimately with Stephen King, and they couldn't come to an agreement on the script is because King was focused more on the horror, and Spielberg was interested more in the action. Has Spielberg ever done, I guess, he did Jaws? Yeah. And think about it. He had to be talked into the parts that made it scary. Well, he also did E.T. E.T.'s not scary. The kids who are afraid of E.T. are afraid of the puppets. No, but I mean, (laughs) there's a lot of, it's filmed like a horror movie in some elements, in some scenes, especially with the government that comes in and when E.T.'s going to die and fucking poltergeist, Kelsey. 
Oh, because we give the credit to Spielberg? Well, he produced it. But he didn't... He didn't direct this either. He just produced it. Let's forget... Let's not forget that Toby Toby Hooper Hooper, Yes. Yes. No, I don't want to. But I I am saying that this was his production. He is interested in horror. Yeah, but this movie... It's a horror because of what it what the subject matter is, but you're absolutely right. It is not filmed like a horror. Everything's like the 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 lighting is so fucking flat. I appreciated everything. that I could see things because this the set has the ability, especially in the original. In the original it would have actually might have been helpful to have it in color because uh-huh. it's it was so dark and there was so much stuff in the house that it was kind of yeah. hard to see sometimes. And I appreciated that I could see the set here. But like it washes but I do, out all the shadows. I understand no exactly. And that's why the shadow looks so fake uh-huh. when they incorporate it. Yeah. Because it looks so obviously not actually part of the set. But I mean, I think about, to go back to Poltergeist, I think about like what's scary, like what's actually scary about that movie and it's, you know, there's a giant skeleton demon dog thing. And those and things are frightening the, in the, the moment. The skeletons in the pool and, and the caskets really coming up from the ground. But what afraid of when they watch that movie? It is the performances. Oh, yeah. The performances sell what is happening sure, But what I'm saying, screen. horror can be action. I think that's absolutely it can be. And I think Poltergeist is a great example of that, something that was produced by Spielberg. So when he comes to produce this, I feel like he wanted another poltergeist, an actiony horror movie, and this is what he got and he's like fuck this, take my name off of it. <laughs> Probably because he wasn't as heavily involved in this as he was in Poltergeist. Yeah. Oh well. So yeah, 20. Yep. Sounds good. 90 versus 20. It's a huge gap. Remember when we- okay, this is going to sound petty. Remember when we got that comment by somebody that said that we have a bias towards modern movies? <laughs> and like, Chris so it bothers much. me so much because it's not even held up by the facts. <laughs> it's like he saw. It's like he listened to one episode and where we liked the modern movie more than the old one, and that offended him so much that he thought it was just the way we treat everything. If you look back at our scores, you will see that we score older movies higher than newer movies in general. Honestly, I wouldn't I would be a lot less surprised if someone said that they like the old movies because they think that they're supposed to. Like that's right. what's supposed to be. No, better. here's the reason why we like the old movies more than we like the new ones. <laughs> this is the God's honest truth. And it's it's a phenomenon that we see in looking back on history all the time where we elevate things like, you know, I'm watching The Last Dance, right, on ESPN, and you think about how Oh, man, there aren't any amazing basketball players like there used to be. You know, there was... In case you're sitting there wondering, hey, wait a minute. No, it's not Save the Last Dance. It's The Last Dance. It's an ESPN documentary series. It's on Netflix right now about... Not the dance. About the 90s Bulls and Michael Jordan. And like, you know, but because what you've done is you've taken a wide swath of everything prior to now... In the history of basketball and cherry picked the biggest names and then you put those up against literally everyone that's playing basketball now. And of course, the biggest and the best in the all of history of basketball is going to be better than the average basketball player now. Of course it is. And that's the same thing that we're seeing right now is we're going through and we're picking up in general 
the bigger names from the past. And so, yes, of course, they're going to skew higher than just the average movie that we watch from modern times. So it's a phenomenon. There's a name for it. I can't think of what the name is where. <laughs> yeah, of course, because, yes, you're 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 comparing the best and the best, the best of the best from all of history to the average movie made today. Yeah. So scores for the old movies that we watch are going to be higher. Yes. <laughs> it's just the way that works. We also like watching really bad old movies too yes we do what was the home sweet home ah <laughs> i don't know that we enjoy watching those but we do i fucking loved home sweet home it was home sweet home right that's the one, one thanksgiving he, one yeah. where he leaps in from off screen yeah and he's on like pcp yes my favorite part is how he hits the lady at the beginning <laughs> the old lady in the car no, she's walking Yeah, but he's street. driving the car and he hits her. Oh, God. But he elbow drops the guy in the hood of the Jeep. It's so good. Oh. Anyway, yes, we like watching bad old movies, too. But, yeah. So, no. 90 to 20. Holy shit. It's just a better movie. So that's the end of our double feature this week. With 1963's and 1999's The Haunting. Thank you very much, Daniel. What are we watching next week, Kelsey? Next week is another recommendation week. This recommendation has come into us from three different people. And again, guys, if you recommended these movies and I don't catch your name, please feel free to tweet or email us. We love to talk about our listeners. So yeah. if I miss you, please do not take it personally. It is just because I have a lot. <laughs> <laughs> so we will be watching... Monster Squad. Kick him in the nards. Never actually seen this movie. Oh, yeah. It's not good, but it's... Great. No, 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 no. It's a, it's, a, it's a horror movie for kids, and it's like, what if The Goonies was a horror movie? And it's awesome in that respect. So we have had three different people recommend this to us. It's been recommended by Harry, Diane... And Tron 1686. Thank you, guys. Harry, Diane, and Tron. I'm really excited to do this one. I haven't seen this probably since I bought it on DVD. God, what, like 15 years ago, maybe? And we're going to pair it with another movie about kids against a monster called Attack the Block. Yeah. John Boyega and Attack the Block. Yes, before he was famous for Star Wars. Uh I really enjoy Attack the Block. I am not an enormous fan of the ending. Okay, fair enough. Yeah, I just, I really liked that movie when I saw it. I thought it was really creative visually. I thought the content, I, I, we'll talk about it when we get to there, but I really like that movie. So, um, and I think a lot of people do. It's not uncommon to appreciate Attack the Block or anything. But yeah, so that's, you know, just a, a group of young folks banding together against monsters in Attack the Block, it's aliens. In Monster Squad, it's old universal monsters like Dracula, etc. Etc. So that is next week. Until then, you can visit us at our website, podcemetery.com. Get a list of every movie we've ever covered, which is a great way to explore our back catalog. Don't forget to follow us on Twitter, where we will post a lot of supplementary materials to the episode. 
when we talk about visual things happening a lot of the time, we'll put them on the Twitter there, or we'll make corrections to things that we can't correct in the edit. Don't forget to subscribe to us in your podcatcher of choice. Rating and written reviews are the biggest help you can do for us there. Sharing us with your friends is even bigger, and even bigger than that is listening in the GD first place. Thank you all very much. We love each and every one of you. Until next week, I've been Chris. I've been Kelsey. And this has been Pod Cemetery. But before we go, Kelsey, any last words? A closed mind is the worst defense against the supernatural. If it happens to you, you're liable to have that shut door in your mind rip right off its hinges. I don't want to be buried in a pet cemetery. I don't want to live my life. To the sacred place To see the dream I can't escape More loose and fangs that are picking up bones I'm a big old dum-dum I'm a real big dum-dum Okay, that makes sense Why get mad at me? I don't think you killed your mother Jesus So fucking hot Mimic is a, um, it's like Guillermo del Toro's attempt at making a Western sci-fi horror movie. Isn't it like Species? Aren't Species and Mimic basically the same movie? Mm, no. <laughs> <laughs> but Mimic is the one with Mira Sorvino. Are they not about sexy women who are actually, like, evil creatures? <laughs> is Mimic- that not what they are? No. Mimic is... It's about a, a bug. Oh. It's not a sexy lady? It's actually a bug? I don't think so. It's been probably 20 years since I've seen Mimic. Okay. <laughs> Thank you very much, Daniel. David. Fuck. We've been recommended by... It's been recommended by... And I remember loving him in it, which is why I didn't like... The ending. Spoilers. (laughs) Well, here. You can write, say this instead. Uh Really love that guy. Uh, There's a reason I want him to end up with Ray. I guess we can't can't talk about that either. Spoilers. (laughs) 